The Commons vote will be necessary once United Nations weapons inspectors have submitted their report on last Wednesday's suspected chemical attack in Damascus. Farhan Haq, a spokesman for the UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon, says the early indications of what happened could be gathered by the end of the week. It's possible that in about uh, two more days they might have the sort of physical evidence that they need to collect, uh, which could then be analysed in laboratory and then could serve as the basis for a report that the chemical weapons inspectors intend to make about what they've found. A post-mortem's being carried out to determine what caused the death of a 17-year-old girl from North Bedfordshire. Police say she died shortly after returning from the Reading Festival on Monday. The health regulator, the Care Quality Commission, says it has major concerns over several services provided at Bedford Hospital. The paediatric unit at the Trust has already seen several of its services withdrawn, including inpatient care and the department's accident and emergency. Tony Fisher has more. In the report out today, the watchdog identified major concerns relating to staffing, supporting workers and assessing and monitoring the quality of service provision. In particular, it raises concerns about the quality of care provided on one elderly ward, as well as consultant staffing levels in A&E and the stroke unit. The Trust apologises to its patients and the community for the failings and says it's committed to putting things right. A new casualty department for adults opens at the Lister Hospital in Stevenage this morning. It's part of the £19 million redevelopment of the hospital's A&E. In sport, Watford are through to the third round of the Capital One Cup for the first time since 2008 after beating Bournemouth 2-0 at Vicarage Road last night. Meanwhile, Stevenage were knocked out of the League Cup after losing 2-1 to Everton in extra time. The weather dry with some sunny spells and a top temperature of 23 degrees Celsius. That's 73 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sports online at bbc.co.uk slash threecount. I do apologise for the long intro music. I'm arguing with our political reporter. About men without hats and safety dance. <laughs> we're, we're, the more important things to come. But morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up on the show this morning. We might all get fracked. No, it's not as exciting as it sounds. It's an option. It's when they, they dig for oil, but like in rocks. I don't quite understand the technicalities of it. We will find out more during the show. MPs return to Westminster this morning and Parliament is recalled to debate the Syrian crisis. But they won't now be asked to authorise military action. Instead, they'll vote on the principle of intervention. Well, let's put it to you. Should Britain get involved in Syria? And today we are celebrating the magic of bees. Hats off to bees on BBC Three Counties Radio. Also, ever been stung by a bee and a wasp in the same day? I know, trust me with this one, we're, we're nudging Partridge territory, but I think I can turn this around. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text 81333, start your text 3CR, or this is the best way, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Now, it's a word that's been banded uh, about in the news a lot lately, and it appears that fracking could be coming closer to home. The arguments for fracking say there'll be cheaper fuel bills and a more secure energy future for uh, supply for years to come. Well, those against the process say uh, fracking causes earthquakes, leads to environmental damage and pollution of our water supply. Well, it's not affected anyone here, has it? Well, not yet. But now Buckinghamshire County Council is to start looking at a policy on fracking in parts of the county. Political reporter Paul Scoyne says more on this. For those who don't know, Paul, and I'm not too hot on the, exactly what the process is, what is shale gas and fracking? OK, shale gas. To my, I'm not a geologist. I'd like to make that clear at the start. Ah. Can we get a geology? No, we we'll, are. We'll we, will, we will speak we to an speak expert to later. Doctor. But my understanding is that shale gas is methane. It's in the Earth's surface. Um, it used to be considered far too difficult to retrieve. Um, and what fracking is, is technically, that's the sort of loose term for it, its actual name is hydraulic fracturing. And that's the process used to get at this particular gas. Now, what happens in sort of very, very sort of uh, light layman's terms, a mixture of water, sand and chemicals are pumped into the rocks to open up seams. My understanding is that the sand keeps the seam open, uh, the chemical uh, allows the water to get in and effectively the gas pours out or gets pumped back out it's not like a normal it's not it's called an unconventional gas because yes. it's not like a normal gas like where you understand you know gas you turn on your tap it's not found in the same way in pools you know gas settles and so on but i have to say for the listener at home paul scoins is actually acting this process out i'm acting out the process you're like david bellamy in some ways yes um once an area has been tested though it can then be used to produce gas so that's the process okay. in which it goes through is it th- th- i'm hearing all these arguments in the newspaper oh it's safe oh it's dangerous oh it's safe oh, is it safe well there is a potential for air pollution and contamination of the surface water so Every, I think everyone involved in fracking understands that and they accept it. If it's done right, then that doesn't happen, they say. The controversy comes about when these chemicals which are used to help get out of the, the water, as you say, uh, uh, sort of enter into the surface water. Uh, what the Tyndall Centre for uh, Environmental Research in, in Britain said is that there is considerable anecdotal evidence from the United States that contamination of both ground and surface water has occurred in a range of cases. So that is obviously a concern. There have been a handful i think it's only a handful of cases where it has occurred at the same time as minor earth tremors and i'm talking minor earth tremors i was described yesterday by an expert who said if i walked past you probably if i walked past you rather than him because i think he's a bit smaller than me but if if i was to walk past you in you might feel the ground move a little bit and it'd probably be akin to that so nothing more serious than that what are the positives well Let's quote David Cameron here. He says, if we don't back this technology, we will miss a massive opportunity to help families with their bills and make our country more competitive. In short, uh, cheaper fuel bills. Um, in the United States, they've got more than 10,000 fracking wells opening up each year. Wow. And their gas prices are three and a half times lower than here. And uh, even with their large oil production, uh, the government say that that's no coincidence. In May, a report from the Institute of Directors here in the UK presented a scenario where uh, shale gas production attracted an investment of £3.7 billion per year and created up to 74,000 jobs. Uh, Where could gas be found in our area? Well, this is the difficult thing. We're not really sure because Ah. the exploratory sort of uh, uh, phase hasn't really started. Okay. Bucks, however, has a number of areas in the north and the south which may be suitable. Um, 
according to the British, British Geological Survey, uh, there's some uh, figures which suggest an area to the very south around Marlow, around Wickham, Beaconsfield, that sort of area, has been identified as a, a sort of a potential location. And that will actually, there are options, if you like. The government splits the country up into blocks in terms of geology, and it, it, it is, it's having an auction next year, like a licence auction, to bid for these blocks. And um, one of them is around that sort of um, Wickham and Marlow area. That's the one that's coming next year. Um, and that briefing from the British Geological Survey that I've seen suggests that there is some capability in Bucks. There has been in the past um, petrochemicals, if you like, in Bucks. They had wells in uh, Twyford. They had wells uh, over towards that sort of uh, Calvert area. Mm. So if you live in Calvert, you've got the incinerator, HS2, uh, East West Rail, and now potentially um, more gas. Happy days. So what, what about hearts and beds? Are, are they no, potentials? Not really to any uh, uh, any degree at all. No, it's, it's, it's different sort of underground sort right. of uh, uh, mix-up there. How soon could this happen? I think we're a long way away from fracking in this area, in honesty. Um, the Bucks County Council is going to look at this. They're, they're, they've decided that because this auction is happening next year, they need to have some sort of policy in place. Right. So this is what they're doing. They say that they're doing a very sort of light pencil, very early days sort of thing. It's not, you know, they're just really trying to cover their bats because at the moment every council has a minerals and waste strategy and that just, you know, will, will guide them because they're the planning authority. So any application that comes in, they have to decide on it. So what they say is that they need to have in place a policy so just in case somebody does come forward no one has yet mm. uh, they have something to deal with I mean licenses come in the planning process well you know how long a planning yes. application can take sometimes it can take years um, uh, so we could be several wa- years away if it happens at all I should stress this isn't necessarily you know people in South Bucks don't start kind of getting your placards oh, ready oh please yet. don't no um, you know we are some way away from this happening if okay. at all and what, what you'll hear later in the programme is that actually fracking could be extraordinarily beneficial to the UK economy. Paul Scoins, Fracky very much. 08459 455 
Got some bad news, kids. Bad news. Or maybe it's good news if you like old women and sexy middle-aged women. No, old men. Hang on. What? Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones have split up. They've split up. I know. They've split up. Who'd have thought it? It lasted 15 years, which is longer than I expected. There's a 13-year age gap. It was never going to last. That's obvious, isn't it? There's a 13-year age gap. It was never going to last. She's a... Well, hang on. How old is she? She's going to be in her... 40s, 43, 43. Hey, lads, lads, a hey, four, lads. He's 68. Hang on a minute, that's more than... Uh, th- oh, no, they're 13-year marriage. How big is the age gap, then? Let me do the maths. 25, thank you very much indeed. 20, 25! 25-year age gap. It was never going to work. 43-year-old, middle-aged, hottie, Catherine Zeta-Jones, four... 68-year-old, grumpy old man, Michael Douglas. I wonder who'll be the first to get a new partner. I wonder. It's going to be her, isn't it, obviously? Well, hang on. He is a multi-millionaire, though, I suppose. 25-year age. It was never going to work, was it? Right, 6.15, BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the travel. Here's Bill Sheldrake. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Mm, I'm 68. Good morning. In Boreham Wood, you've got a burst water main, which is closed off Theobald Street. You've been diverted via Organ Hall Road. Public transport all looking absolutely fine. At Bill Sheldrake, BBC Three Counties Radio. Bill, thank you very much. He sounds like a very young 68, doesn't he? Right, 6.16. It's Thursday, the 29th of August. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Parts of Buckinghamshire have been identified as potential locations for the controversial practice of oil and gas exploration known as fracking. MPs will debate the crisis in Syria in a special session of Parliament today, but they won't be asked to authorise British military intervention. In sport, Watford are through to the third round of the Capital One Cup for the first time since 2008, after beating Bournemouth 2-0 at Vicarage Road. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks dry with some sunny spells and a top temperature of 23 degrees. Coming up, we'll have the latest on Syria. And what do you think? Should we get involved in Syria? Or should we leave them to get on with it themselves? 08459 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. In this country, we will never think of sport the same way, and we will never think of disability the same way. A year ago, a very special event took place at Stoke Mandeville Stadium in Aylesbury to mark the start of the Paralympic Games. A year on, we are back at the Buckinghamshire home of the Paralympics to hear the memories of those who took part and assess the legacy of the Games. You see them now as athletes in their own right, whatever their disability. Listen to the anniversary live from Stoke Mandeville Stadium this afternoon from three here on BBC Three Counties Radio.
So here's a question that's been uh, asked a few times this week. Should Britain get involved in Syria? Simple as question, simple question, 08459 455 555. MPs will be back in Westminster today for an emergency debate on possible military action in Syria. But a final vote to authorise strikes will have to wait after Labour opposition forced the government to slow down their plans. The Archbishop of Canterbury has already warned MPs not to rush any decision on military action. Meanwhile, a YouGov survey shows nearly three-quarters of British people oppose us deploying troops to the conflict-torn country. Well, this is what you told us in Hertfordshire. Absolutely not. No way. Because we need to be looking after our own people, first and foremost. We've lost so many soldiers with Afghanistan. It makes us more of a threat for terrorists. It makes us very vulnerable. And for those reasons alone, I feel very sorry for the Syrians. But we can't just keep fighting everybody's battles. Everybody else seems to step back, and Britain's always there, and Britain always loses out, and I just don't agree with it. Well, as far as I can see, the Assad is presumably winning. I mean, there is never going to be peace there. I mean, obviously, the place is split. Uh, how that will be resolved, I don't know. Getting Western powers in there, did that help in Iraq? Look at Iraq now. Do we still have violence in Iraq? Yes, on a day-to-day occurrence. Has that achieved anything? Not a lot. I'm in two minds about it, really. I think what's going on certainly needs some intervention, but it's whether, you know, it's down to us to do it. I think if it's globally, then all the UN gets involved, then, yeah, it's time. Can't keep going on the way that they're... Now, chemical weapons are being used on, on the people. They're basically creeping up America, and it's America that's getting involved because they seem to enjoy it. And uh, I don't think Britain should be involved. No, there's enough from our government perspective there's enough involvement in in other countries anyway afghanistan iraq etc etc not not in a conflict way i think we should be humanitarian but i think britain's done its best for the or done as much as it ought to well that's that's the voices of some people in hertfordshire what do you think should we get involved oh eight four five nine four double five five double five my next guest patricia Mumar, who works for the mk based charity world vision is in lebanon now helping syrian refugees good morning uh, patricia what's the situation like Good morning. The situation is that the refugees are still in great need in Lebanon. We have reached more than 700,000 refugees according to the, to the UNHCR. Well, even the Lebanese government is estimating more than 1 million refugees in Lebanon alone, where the population is uh, 4 million, and that's a lot for uh, a hosting community to, to handle. And where are these refugees living? Are there camps? There is no camps, official camps, in the traditional sense in Lebanon. Uh, refugees are scattered all over Lebanon. You'll find them in the north, in the south, in Beirut, the capital, in north, in, in the in the Bekaa Valley. So basically, refugees are um, all over Lebanon. They are staying in uh, substandard shelters. They are staying with Lebanese families sometimes. They are staying in tented. Uh, tented shelters like in makeshift makeshift tents made of cardboard and sugar sacks in a very bad situation. I would imagine that this huge influx of refugees is putting a lot of pressure on uh, services like health and education and food and things. Correct. The infrastructure of the services in Lebanon uh, is under a lot of pressure. 
uh, and that's because of the increase of number. I mean, in some in some towns of Lebanon, the population has doubled in sizes, and so the health clinics, the educational system, they are going through a lot of pressure. Uh, some children I've talked to recently told me that while they were in school, they were feeling like they are in a Syrian school and not a Lebanese school anymore. Uh, Lebanese uh, Lebanese parents used to go to a certain health clinic. They're not going there anymore because of the long queue and uh, and the, the pressure put on the health services. They're not really keeping up with all the demands. And this is, I mean, this is a lot for any community. What exactly is your your day to day job? What are you doing, Patricia? I do communications with World Vision. I basically go to the field every other day. I talk to families. I talk to refugees. I listen to their stories, and I tell uh, and I tell about their needs. I tell about what they have lived. Uh, I, I ask them about how was it like in Syria and how was it like for them to be a refugee and all the troubles they're going through right here in Lebanon. And do the, the, the Syrians you speak to, do they express an, intre- a, 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 an opinion on whether Britain should get involved in the conflict? Refugees are often scared to talk. They've gone through a lot while uh, in Syria and through their journey to Lebanon. It takes time for them to, to talk. Uh, they always tell me, where are the international community? Where is the peaceful solution to what's going on in Syria? Uh, and I join World Vision's voice to their voice, to the refugees' voice, calling upon all the international community to help find a peaceful solution, including Britain, in what's going on in Syria, to the Syrian crisis that is affecting not only Lebanon, but all the hosting communities in the region. So you would advocate a, a peaceful solution. Would that include uh, sending missiles and, and, and troops into Syria? A peaceful solution is a peaceful solution. So basically, every way to to reach that should be a peaceful way. So without without using uh, military? Of course, without any violence. Finally, uh, Patricia, if, if the, the, the refugees weren't allowed to cross the border out of Syria, what, what do you think would happen to them? From the Lebanese side, we as Lebanon and the Lebanese government have never closed border for refugees because that will uh, that will keep them in a, in a dangerous zone so uh, our our country has um, has uh, has made the decision to keep the borders open and to keep this area as a safe haven for refugees while they cross the border fleeing the violence in Syria Patricia, fascinating stuff. Thank you very much, Patricia Milmar, who works for the Milton Keynes-based charity World Vision. She's in Lebanon now, helping Syrian refugees. It's a very simple question. Should we? Uh, should Britain get involved uh, on a military level? Patricia, they're saying we, we need to come up with a peaceful solution. I don't quite know what that would be. I haven't got a clue. When you're dealing with, with someone like Assad... Now, let's not forget that the, the good guys in this, they're not particularly good as well. They would be considered, under any other circumstances, lots of them would be considered our enemies. I don't know what's going on, but uh, sending in troops or, or deploying cruise missiles to destroy chemical weapons factories? I'm not quite sure how I feel. David Cameron was all gung-ho yesterday, wasn't he? Right, We're going to have a debate, and then we're going to vote on it, and then we're going to do something. Luckily... Um, I think it was uh, Labour and Ed Miliband have said, well, can we not just wait to get the report of the UN inspectors? D- remember Iraq and how we ignored Hans Blix? 
It was all resting on Hans Blix, wasn't it? That was a good name. Hans Blix. Uh, and Labour have said, well, could, let, look, should we just wait for maybe, I don't know, a little bit of evidence this time, perhaps, might be a good idea? What do you think? Should we get involved? Would you encourage us to get involved? Most people in this country, it would seem, don't want us to get involved. If you saw those uh, horrific pictures, I didn't. I've deliberately avoided them, but I've had them described to me of the the, the children that were killed by this uh, alleged chemical attack. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Should we get involved in Syria? You can go to Facebook as well if you want. Facebook.com forward slash BBC three CR, or you can send me a text eight one three double three. Start your text, uh, 3CR. Uh, Should we get involved? Should we go and deploy? You know, by the way, that there are American and British submarines just off the coast right now. Just waiting. Oh, that's all out there. Aren't the Navy doing some sort of training exercise in that region anyway? By coincidence. So there's a stack load of people out there. What do you think? I would, I would say we are after the, the mess that was Iraq. Oh, Iraq will be in and out. Was it Iraq or Afghanistan? One of the two where Tony Blair said, no, don't worry, we'll be in and out in three months, we won't fire a single shot. Oh, right, yeah, nice one. OK, well, that never happened, did it? 08459 455 555. Should we get involved in Syria? Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Boreham Woods, you've got Theobald Street closed off with a burst of water main that's been closed up between Acliffe Road and Weatherby Road. The diversion means that you go via Organ Hall Road. Checking the light departures boards for the trains, all OK so far. Bill Sheldrake, BBC Three Counties Radio. Bill, thank you very much. It's 6.30. Let's get the news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Parts of Buckinghamshire have been identified as potential locations for the controversial practice of oil and gas exploration known as fracking. MPs will debate the crisis in Syria in a special session of Parliament later, but they won't be asked to authorise British military intervention. And the Care Quality Commission has outlined serious concerns over several services at Bedford Hospital. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Watford are through to the third round of the Capital One Cup for the first time since 2008 after beating Bournemouth 2-0 at home. An own goal from Elliot Ward gave Watford the lead in the first half and Christian Batokio sealed the victory in the closing stages. The Hornets will play Norwich at home in the third round. Here's a very happy boss, Gianfranco Zola. They got what they deserved against a team that uh, tried to play and, uh, uh, you know, if probably wasn't for our goalkeeper, maybe they would have been, they would have been, it would have been a different result. Stevenage are out of the League Cup after losing 2-1 to Premier League side Everton last night. The Toffees scored the winner in extra time with just five minutes to go. Stevenage's goal came courtesy of Luke Freeman. Uh, I think there was times where they did have the majority of chances, but at the same time, I think when you have these games, you have got to ride your luck, you know. Um, but nevertheless, we work very hard as a team and as a unit for someone, for a team that hasn't really been with each other for long. We, we gel very well to that. In tennis, Andy Murray's through to the second round of the US Open after a comfortable straight sets win over Frenchman Mikhail Lodra at Flushing Meadows. Second serve, first of the match points. Lodra in the net, punches the volley deep. Murray goes down the line with the backhand. Lodra plays the volley. The put away for Murray. He decides to play the lob. Lodra throws the racket in the air. It makes no contact with the ball. 
and the match finishes in exhibition style and it's been a very entertaining hour and a half's work for Andy Murray and he's got his US Open title defence off to a cracking start under the lights in New York. And Laura Robson will meet Lee Na in the third round, a repeat of last year after seeing off Caroline Garcia of France in round two last night. And that's your latest news and sports. I'll be back with more at seven o'clock. Boo! <laughs> oh. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. We will uh, be talking about the Paralympics one year on in just a few minutes. But... But, but, bees and wasps and all kinds of things like that. Bees have been on my mind recently. I, I, I tell you why. My little boy, three and a half, he knows where honey comes from. He, of course he knows where honey comes from. It comes from bees. Yeah? Talking about honey. We're in Greece, the best honey in the world. Talking about honey. Uh, honey comes from bees. How do they make it, Dada? Well, what they do is, um, they, uh, they get the, uh, they get the pollen... I don't know how honey is made. I haven't got a clue how honey is made. You don't know how honey, honey is made, do you, Dealey? No, not at all. Haven't, and it's one of those things. Where does honey come from, bees? Mm. How do they make it? Well, they... Um... <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. It's a tough one. Just say it comes from the supermarket. Job done. <laughs> well, listen, I, I've been... I've, and I've been becoming obsessed with bees and wasps at the moment, Justin. I found Ooh. out there is the, a, a thing called the Bee, Wasps and Ant Recording Society. Wow. Yeah, uh, those, guys, those guys are crazy. You, yeah. can, you can go to their website, <laughs> boise.com. I bet it's fun on there. <laughs> well, they're saying the harsh winter has meant there's more of them. Came home from holiday... And there were, it was like um, there'd been a, a wasp Armageddon. Yeah, absolutely. There was a wasp, of course. There were just wasps, or dead wasps, all over the floor. I was having my fish and chips at the football on Monday. I was standing outside, bright sunshine. I was trying to enjoy my food. You know, I work half my money. There I am eating my food. And there were wasps everywhere, just causing absolute chaos. I hate those things. Disgusting. Well, th- th- there are so many questions here that I want you to investigate this morning. And yes. I, I, I'm, I am fascinated. Uh, first of all, I want you to find out... Does anybody know how bees make honey? Yes, we can do that. Can you look into that? Does anybody know how bees make honey? Turns out it doesn't even involve pollen. Pollen (laughs) isn't part of it. Uh, And also, we got talking this morning. (laughs) We're so close to partridge. We are. Which has got the worst sting? A bee or a wasp? Well, that's obvious. It's a bee. Well, why? I'll tell you why. I've been stung by both. Now, if a wasp was to sting me, it's like somebody pinching me. If a bee was to sting me, it's like somebody putting a cigarette out on my arm. It was horrible. Wow. Horrible experience. Well, Cap, did, did these stings happen at the, on the same day? No, they didn't. Ah. That's the holy grail. You want to find yeah. somebody who's been stung by a wasp and a bee on the same day. That is probably impossible, but Th- we shall try. This is what, this is what I, we're after now. You're right. Uh, someone who has been stung by a wasp... And they went, oh, I've been stung by a wasp. <laughs> and then a few minutes later, oh, my God, she's been stung by a bee. <laughs> Can we find that person? Yes, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to me, Ian. I'm going to be going around the streets of beds, hearts and butts asking people, excuse me, sir, excuse me, madam, have you been stung by a wasp and a bee on the same day? It's a slow news day, Justin. Mm. What can I tell you? And it's summer. And to be fair, you know, wasps and bees are in the news again today in the newspapers, so yep. let's give it a try. There, there are more of them because of the, the, they stayed in hibernation. Justin, we'll speak to you a bit later. Yes, thanks, Ian. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, do you know how honey is made? My three-and-a-half-year-old boy, Dad, uh, d- d- honey comes from bees, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Well done. Very clever. How do they make it? Well, what they do is they, uh, they, they get pollen and... The, uh, and it just dawned on me, it's a massive 
gap in my knowledge. 08459 455 555. From bees and wasps and ants to... Be- I, I, no, I can't, I can't. Jojo was a man who thought he was a loner But he knew it couldn't last Jojo lived his home in Tucson, Arizona For some California grass Get back, get back Get back to where you once belonged Get back, get back Get back to where you once belonged Get back, Jojo got a new album coming out that'll be a stinker it will be they have been for the last 30 years we'll, we'll all go oh it's a return to form and then we won't play it again hey remember this the Paralympic Games has set new records every day sporting records records for crowds for television audiences for unbridled spirit in this country we will never think of sport the same way and we will never think of disability in the same way. Good words, powerful words. It was Lord Coe there speaking at the end of last year's Paralympic Games. And for a while, I think uh, the country, the nation, us, did have a, a different opinion of disabled people. 
but has our view of disability changed and, and stayed changed since the Games? To mark the one-year anniversary, the disability charity Scope has published a survey. It's found that four out of five disabled people say attitudes towards them haven't improved since the Games, and the charity says any legacy hangs in the balance. Well, I'm joined now by Matt Jackson from Scope. Morning, Matt. Morning. The Games didn't do disabled people any long-term favours. No. Um, one year on from the Paralympics, we thought it was a really good time to just ask disabled people whether attitudes have um, uh, really improved. Obviously, you know, this was one of the big ambitions of the government for the for the uh, Paralympics legacy. Um, and it really seems like this legacy is, um, you know, hanging in the balance, sort of, as you say, four out of five of, uh, of them have told us that they haven't improved. But more worryingly, one out of four of them um, are saying that things have actually got worse. Um, you know, which is which is really worrying. How? In what way worse? What What are they seeing that that's that's worse than it was a year ago? Well, one of the big things that they're telling us about why attitudes have got worse is predominantly what they're saying is the way uh, that the government talks about benefits and welfare and the way that they talk about the type of financial support that many disabled people need to live their everyday lives sort of um, telling the story again and again that in some way people that need this type of support are kind of cheating the system, scrounging or, you know, making stuff up. Um, You know, and this does really begin to have a bit of an impact on, you know, everyone's attitudes. Um, And, um, you know, this is kind of worrying. I suppose what what happens is it it sort of seems to give um, people license on the street to feel that in some way they can, you know, abuse, have a go at disabled people, call them scroungers, cheaters. And, you know, uh, many disabled people have been telling us some quite worrying stories of um, that happening online, you know, people being trolled, abused online, but also, you know, other stories of, you know, people being shouted at in the street. Um, after, uh, during and after, immediately after the Paralympic Games, Matt, I remember there was a real, um, it seemed to be a shift in our attitude, or the attitude of many people towards disabled people. I think it was the first Paralympics to ever completely sell out. It got huge viewing figures on television. Did that, was that imagined, that, that kind of reaction, or, or did that kind of peter out quite quickly after the Paralympics? No, I mean, if you all, you know, think back to that summer, it was, a, it was a fantastic summer. Disabled people have never been more visible. We've never talked about disability more. But the real key issue is you can't change a lot of these attitudes overnight. You can't change them in, you know, two or three weeks. And, I mean, the government's quite right to say that actually this is a 10-year project in terms of, you know, the big legacy which they want to achieve. And we would agree with that. And, you know, it was a fantastic start. But I suppose what, what, what seems to be coming out now is that, you know, the, is that that, that that legacy really does now, you know, hang in the balance. One of the changes I've noticed uh, uh, since the Olympics is that women's sport is getting more of an airing. Certainly on the BBC, you quite often hear about the women's, the women's cricket recently and women's football. Uh, but you still don't hear about disabled sport in, a, in, a, in inverted commas, normal sports bulletin. Is, is, is that a change that we should be making? Absolutely. You know, as... As we saw last summer, just, you know, visibility, people people seeing sport and people enjoying it, seeing it on their, you know, television, you know, that, that, that has a really, really big impact. It's just about, you know, seeing this as sport in the same way as we would, you know, the Ashes and the, you know, football. And, um, you know, we did see that in some way with the, um, you know, World uh, Championships this summer in Lyon. You know, they, they, they did receive more coverage than what they, you know, previously would, so... 
Well, it turns out what, what you need to do to get more sporting coverage is do a wee-wee on your, uh, your, your playing equipment. That's what the England cricket team have done, and they're all over the papers because of it. Disgraceful behaviour. Matt, is, uh, apart, apart from more coverage in the, the news bulletins, what else would you like to see done to uh, help uh, change the attitude? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, it's not it's not just about the government. I mean, from from the government's perspective, what we'd like to see them do is actually start to tell a more truthful story about the lives of everyday disabled people, and start telling a more truthful story about some of those financial um, uh, uh, support which they need to lead their everyday lives. But also, you know, from you know, uh, from sort of uh, everyone's perspective, really, you know, think think back to that summer. You know, remember how great it was. You know, get out there talk to disabled people spend time with them you know realize you know what 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 great role they play in our society uh matt thank you very much indeed that's uh matt jackson from the uh, charity scope talking about disabled attitudes 08459 455 555 it's a quarter to seven this is bbc three counties radio let's get the latest travel news now here's bill Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, you've got the burst water main in Boreham Woods. It's closed off Theobald Street. You've got that closed both ways between Acliffe Road and Weatherby Road. One to watch out for that part of your journey to work. The diversion takes you via Organ Hall Road. Public transport all running into time. Bill Sheldrake, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Bill. He's in like Flynn. He doesn't mess around, does he? Good lad. It's Thursday the 29th of August. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Parts of Buckinghamshire have been identified as potential locations for the controversial practice of oil and gas exploration known as fracking. MPs will debate the crisis in Syria in a special session of Parliament today, but they won't be asked to authorise British military intervention. In sport, Stevenage are out of the League Cup after losing 2-1 to Premier League side Everton last night. Coming up before seven, we'll get the latest on the situation at Bedford Hospital, where many children's services have already been transferred to other hospitals, including the department's overnight care and accident and emergency. Well, guess what? They're not doing brilliantly in other areas as well. We'll find out more after the latest weather with Elizabeth Rizzini. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, very good morning to you. It's a nice day again today, really. Nice late summer's day. Lots of sunshine around. There are a few mist patches out there, but they'll get burned back quickly by the sunshine. There will be increasing amounts of cloud as we head through the day, perhaps turning out to be a bit cloudier than it was yesterday, but still very pleasant in the sunny spells. And top temperatures today of up to 23 or 24 degrees Celsius, 75 in Fahrenheit. But we might just see one or two light showers develop as we head through the afternoon, particularly across parts of Buckingham maybe western areas of Bedfordshire as well. It's a very, very sm- um, slim chance, basically. Most places are going to stay dry. And, um, yeah, another lovely day. Into this evening and overnight, plenty more cloud reforming. It will turn a bit breezier tonight, so probably not the mist patches um, into tomorrow morning, but a mild night to come. Temperatures down to 15 or 16 degrees Celsius tomorrow. Again, bright, warm, some spells of sunshine, and it will stay dry. By the time we get to the weekend, yes, it's going to be... Um, really quite sunny it will stay dry but it's going to be feeling an awful lot fresher so temperatures dropping by a good few degrees by the time we get to saturday that's the weather 
Inside Out is back, investigating the stories that matter to us in the East. We'll be asking the tough questions, uncovering local issues, and revealing untold stories closer to home. Inside Out East returns starting Monday, 7.30 on BBC One. by that that's that's the manic street preachers they i know they've they've gone all pop they've come back and they've gone all pop it's probably got a deeply socialist political message underneath which they've sugar-coated to, to make it more uh, tangible but anyway it's the manic street preachers Bedford Hospital. We've not talked about that for a while. More bad news. Many children's services, as, as we know, have already been transferred to other hospitals, including the department's overnight care and accident and emergency. 
Well, now a health watchdog has said it's got major concerns, not just about paediatrics, but also the quality of care provided on one elderly ward, as well as at consultant staffing levels in A&E and the stroke unit. Well, our reporter, Tara Gungafold, joins me in the studio. You've been looking at this, Tara. We've heard all of this. This has come from the hospital itself, hasn't it? Yes, yes. That's unusual, I would imagine. It is. And in, in the light of the recent bad publicity, and of course because of that, we did actually do a, a broadcast from outside the hospital just a few weeks ago. Yes. Very hot day, I remember it well. Uh, so the Trust has taken it upon itself now to highlight the concerns raised by the regulator, who is, of course, the Care Quality Commission. Mm-hmm. And it's quite a, a good step to do this, really, because it just shows a level of transparency that perhaps we don't always see from organisations who have a critical finger poked at them quite firmly. They, the, the Bedford Hospital don't have much choice though, do they? If, if any more bad press were released from elsewhere, then everybody would be pouncing all over them. It's best that they come forward yep. with it themselves, absolutely. Now the CQC inspected the Trust over four days in early July and it was focusing on paediatrics because of this decision that we reported on quite a lot by the Health Education East of England and the General Medical Council to withdraw junior doctors from that department but inspectors as you've just alluded to also visited the stroke unit A&E and two of the trust's three elderly care wards now the inspection at Bedford Hospital was also one of the first under the CQC's new regime and the regulator identified some major concerns Mm. and and at that point it issues statutory warning notices and these concerns were relating to staffing supporting workers and assessing and monitoring the quality of service provision as well as registering uh, four moderate and one minor concerns now, a lot of these you'll be able to go through when you speak to Stephen Conroy, who's the acting chief executive. He's going to be on the programme a little bit later on okay. today. Um, and the report was also highly critical of the trust supervision and support for junior doctors in paediatrics, something that we know about already. Yes, we've addressed that, haven't we? And it raises concerns about the care provided on one particular elderly care ward. So you'll be able to get the details on all of that. Pretty damning stuff, isn't it? And what have the hospitals said about this? Well, that was interesting because usually when the way this works is that we might get an alert from the CQC mm. that will say, oh, we've got a report, perhaps you'd like to look at it. Or someone else will have told us on maybe a patient's watch group or something like that. They will mm. say, oh, the CQC have come out with a report. I think you should have a look. And because we've got this from the hospital, actually the hospital has told us what's in the report and then they've gone ahead and, and responded to some of those issues. Right. So. The press release that we have, the Acting Chief Executive, Stephen Conroy, he's quoted as saying he's got no hesitation in apologising to all patients in the local community for the failings identified in this report and that they're committed to putting it right and getting it right every day for every patient. They've talked about investment, they've talked about creating more additional nurses to provide better care for patients across wards and in their specialities as well. And and also he's uh, talked about in this press release of appointing heads of nursing to provide experienced and senior support to our teams of matrons and senior ward sisters. You'll be able to ask him all about that later as well. Okay. And one last thing... Yes, sorry, go on. ...that I I thought you might like to know, even though I'm talking about all of this, we haven't actually seen the report ourselves yet. Right. All of this information has come from the hospital. The report is supposed to have been filed on the CQC's website, but as yet, there is no updated version. We've been on this morning. Political reporter Paul Scorns is upstairs as well. He's monitoring the desktops to find out whether or not this report has been logged onto their website yet. Um, So we're we're going on what the hospital has told us. Obviously, I'm absolutely sure it's true, but we have haven't read the report ourselves yet as soon as we are able to we will make sure 
that will bring you anything additional. I'm sure there isn't that uh, needs to be uh, yes. addressed. And also you'll be able to address all of these issues that have been raised in this report with Stephen Conroy when he comes on the programme later on this morning. Tara, thank you very much indeed. Well, not brilliant news again for Bedford Hospital. It's, it's struggling a bit, isn't it? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us uh, a call on that. Look, we've got two minutes. Let's have a quick look at the front pages of some of the newspapers, shall we? Uh, the Guardian, which has been tossed carelessly onto the floor. Who'd have thought about that? Uh, the Guardian. Oh, that there's bees. Uh, threat of Commons revolt forces allies to delay Syria missile strike. Concession by Ca- Cameron was all gung ho. Let's go in there, boys, and sort this out. Ed Miliband's gone. Well, hang on a second. We ballsed up. Uh, we Ed ballsed up over Iraq. So maybe maybe we should wait for the UN weapons inspectors to I don't know inspect the weapons. Yeah. Okay. Says Cameron. The Independent. Back from the brink, Cameron forced to retreat over Syria. Labour secures promise of second Commons vote before intervention. Um, and disabled still face prejudice despite the Paralympics. Straight, the, the Telegraph are really going a little bit down market. Yesterday, the front page was split between, I can't remember what the main story was, a big news story, and the Duchess of Cambridge pushing a shopping trolley. Today, it's split between uh, Cameron backs down an urgent Syria strike. And I would suggest this, if I had a ruler, I would measure this. I would suggest this story's got more room. Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones split. I would suggest that that's, that's a bigger story on the front page. Why? I always thought The Telegraph was quite... Wait, it's turning into OK magazine. Um, first World War wills placed online. The last wishes of thousands of soldiers killed in the First World War and unseen for a century are being made available online. Um, the Times, Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones split and Cameron forced to retreat on the Z- Syria vote. Isn't it funny how it's those two stories? Again, the, the mail, you'd expect it from the mail. Zeta and Douglas split. Of course they split. There's a 25-year-old age gap between them. It was never going to last. And Cameron rocked by MPs mutiny on Syria. Oh, Daily Express. I mean, seriously. Who buys this stuff? Joe Willey, health editor. Drug to reverse memory loss. Scientists discover a secret of restoring lost brain function. Drugs to reverse age-related memory loss are a step closer. A step closer means they're probably about 10, 15 years away, if they ever come. And the sun. Forget the sun. I'll even that bothered about Syria. Douglas' sex confession led to split. Catherine Zeta-Jones' marriage to Michael Douglas finally crumbled after his sex bombshell. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the travel news now. Here's Bill. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Checking my motorway camera, slowing down now. M25 anti-clockwise from the M1 to Kings Langley. So from 21 to 20, it slows down again from Maple Cross at 17 up to the M40 turn-off. Heavy going as well on the North Orbital Road at the M25, Junction 21A roundabout and Boreham Road. You've got the burst water main. That means uh, you've got Theobald Street closed off just by Acliffe Road. Bill Sheldrake, BBC Three Counties Radio. Bill, thank you very much indeed. So this morning, the big question is, should we get involved in Syria? I know lots of you spoke to... Uh, Jonathan, a couple of days on this. We're getting closer and closer to uh, David Cameron, to Parliament, sanctioning action. It's been put off for a couple of days, but it's looking pretty likely that we're going to get involved at some point. There is at least one British submarine just off uh, in the waters nearby. 
What do you think? All of this stuff. It, it, uh, I remember ten years ago. What do you think? Should Britain get involved? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Let's get the latest news and sport now. It's Catherine Boyle. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. seven o'clock the headlines potential fracking sites identified in buckinghamshire watchdog voices bedford hospital concerns and a new a and e unit at the lister bbc three counties radio a number of sites in buckinghamshire are being considered for the controversial practice of oil and gas exploration known as fracking the county council's begun developing its policy on the process ahead of a government sell-off of licenses next year here's our political reporter paul scoynes Fracking has been linked with pollution and, in some cases, mild earthquakes and was the subject of a recent high-profile protest in Balcombe in Sussex. However, the Prime Minister says the UK needs to embrace the technology in order to secure energy sources and reduce fuel bills. Bucks County Council will discuss the need for a policy on fracking next month as a number of locations have been identified as potentially suitable for extracting small amounts of gas. MPs returned to Westminster this morning when Parliament's recalled to debate the Syrian crisis. The government's been forced to delay any intervention until United Nations inspectors report on the suspected chemical weapons attack in Damascus. Here's our political correspondent, Chris Mason. MPs will no longer be voting later on whether there should be British military action in Syria. Instead, they'll merely be asked if they would support it in principle. Under pressure from Labour and from public opinion, the government now wants to wait for the UN weapons inspectors in Syria to report their findings to the UN Security Council. Then there'll be another Commons vote. But in the meantime, the United States and others may have pressed ahead with military action anyway. The Care Quality Commission's outlined serious concerns about several services at Bedford Hospital. In a report out today, the watchdog identifies shortcomings in staffing levels, the amount of support offered to workers and the way the hospital assesses and monitors the quality of its services. The Lister Hospital's new casualty department for adults opens this morning. It's part of a £19 million redevelopment of the hospital's A&E. Peter Gibson is the hospital's Associate Director for Public Affairs and he believes patients will see a real difference. This has an x-ray machine on a gantry above the beds in resus. So actually with a touch of a button, uh, the radiographer can actually take x-rays without needing to move you. Uh, And that's a huge plus. The new CT scanner is actually within the department. Again, you don't have to be moved. So for our sickest patients, and that's after all what we really want A&E there for, is for those very sick patients, uh, they're going to get a completely transformed service. The family of a man from Hertfordshire have appealed for thieves to return a plaque that was put up in his memory. The bronze plaque's been mounted on a plinth at Smug Oak Green in Bricketwood since 2008, but it was taken earlier this month. In sport, Watford are through to the third round of the Capital One Cup for the first time since 2008 after beating Bournemouth 2-0 at Vicarage Road. Meanwhile, Stevenage were knocked out of the League Cup after losing 2-1 to Everton in extra time. The weather dry with sunny spells and a top temperature of 23 degrees Celsius. That's 73 degrees Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sports online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. You done? I'm done. I enjoyed that. I'm glad. She's good, Catherine, isn't she? She's very, very good. Hey, did you hear that the head of the BBC, the head of the BBC, is it Tony Hall? Is that his name? Yeah, by the end of 2014, I want to get 50% of local radio breakfast shows hosted by women. Whoa, 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 what? 
Does Catherine doing that I mean interacting does that count as a no? Okay. Jobs on the line. Jobs on the line. When's my contract end? Oh, just before the end of 2014. Ah, right. Nuts. Another year to go. Coming up between now and eight o'clock, the three counties could soon be fracked. Certainly being looked at as an option. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. MPs return to Westminster this morning when Parliament is recalled to debate the Syrian crisis. But they won't now be asked to authorise military action. Or should Britain get involved in Syria? And never been stung by a bee and a wasp on the same day. I know. 08459 455 555. The phone number again, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. The simple solution to uh, DG Tony Hall. Is that his name? I should probably get it right if I'm going to try and start sucking up to him for, to keep my job. Uh, the simple solution, of course, is I have it chopped off. No, hang on, that's not what they call it. Sex change. That's what it is, isn't it? I can, I can do that. Transgender, very popular at the moment. could certainly do that. Now, it's a word that's been banded about in the news a lot just lately, and it appears that fracking could be coming closer to home. The arguments for fracking say there'll be cheaper fuel bills and a more secure energy supply for years to come. Well, those against say that the process could lead to earthquakes and environmental changes. There's so much in the papers. I don't know what I don't know what's right. Well, Buckinghamshire County Council is to start to look at a policy on fracking in parts of the county. These people in Beaconsfield told Sophie Solariot their views last night. Fracking, I think, has its difficulties only in response to what's been seen in America. I think there are more difficulties about it than good. I'm very against fracking altogether. I think we should be investing money in green energy and eco-fuels and it's just burning more fossil fuels. And um, the, the disruption it would cause, the destruction of the countryside, I'm really very against it. I'm from Pennsylvania in the United States, and they frack there. And it's been going on for a bit, and you can definitely see that the water does get polluted, and it does seem the disclosure related to it is not forthcoming. And I think the same thing is going to happen here, where even though there are incidents, they seem to get hushed up. Um, So I am... I think the jury's out whether fracking is good, but I definitely think it does have effects for local people living there. I think it's a a fine idea, provided it doesn't scar the landscape. So you actually don't mind the idea of fracking? You're not against it like many other people are? No, I'm not. I'm against the idea of being short of energy. So fracking's the best way to get fuel for energy, but I'm in favour of it, yes. Provided it doesn't uh, spoil what little landscape we've got left in South Pines. From what I've seen, the experts say they, uh, there's, no, there's no danger, so I'm prepared to believe them. You know, there are lots of people against fracking, and um, certainly we would, we would be, wouldn't we, if it, if it came to Buckinghamshire, we would certainly take some kind of protesting action. Well, that's uh, um, residents of Beaconsfield speaking to our reporter, Sophie Solaria. Dr Chris Green is an expert in fracking from G-Frac Technologies, a company specialising in shale gas extraction. Without going into too much technical detail, details, uh, Dr Chris, what is fracking? Basically, we're trying to inject fluids at high pressure, uh, create a controlled crack system that will increase the surface area that we produce and basically make what are uneconomic wells economic. Is it safe? 
it's safe if it's done properly. That the issues that are you know that everybody's focusing are you know we have to make sure that we do these uh, the tests that we do the analysis before we go ahead and try and roll out hydraulic fracturing on a large scale. What are the potential problems if it's not done properly? The, the big potential problem that we've seen uh, that was highlighted from Preston in Priest Hall is it actually induced seismicity. It didn't create seismicity, but it helped seismicity happen before. That, that means an earthquake, would. does it? It does. There, there was, a, you know, minor earth tremors. They, I wouldn't say they were earthquakes because most people associate earthquakes with with damage, and there was no damage. Uh, and th- there are also um, uh, the, the gas could possibly escape into the air or into the water. Is that is that correct? There is some risk associated with fracking if it's not done correctly. I think we have to ask, you know, basically you have to know that there's some risk and we've got to put everything in place to control it so that we, one, minimise the risk. And what I say to people is there needs to be a, a, a point where you say we stop. You so, know, so gas could potentially get into the water table? I, it, not if it's done correctly. Well, no, but, but, but if, if it's done incorrectly, it could potentially get into the water table. There are people who say it has got into the water table. I've seen, the, the only case that I've seen, I've somebody actually fracked into an aquifer now that for me that's unacceptable i don't know how they've done that you know you wouldn't allow that in any uh, normal scenario but if you you do it and you understand the geomechanics you understand how the rocks behave with with the stress that we induce the the risk of getting into the aquifer is virtually non-existent it's all well and good saying as long as it's all done properly and it's all the, you know all the basic procedures and the rules are followed but um oil drilling is is seen as pretty safe but i remember what happened with bp a couple of years ago when they they had a terrible disaster there is always a potential isn't there for these things however meticulously planned out that these things can go wrong and you could possibly understand why residents in beaconsfield would be reluctant to have that potential risk on their doorstep yeah, I mean, you know, whenever you try to do it, there's always a risk-reward. Um, when I look at shale gas, I think it's an acceptable risk-reward because the, the upside is so great. But on the, the downside, like the issue that you highlighted, for instance, in the Gulf of Mexico, I'm not sure that that highlighted the risk so much as if you don't have the controls in, in place, you know, things not only happen, they take a long time to sort out. And I think there's a need to say, what is the risk? How is it covered and, and which experts are involved, you know, and unfortunately there's not many of us, but if, you know, we've got to start putting things in place to get more expertise out there. And if anything does go wrong, you know, the big question that I say to people is, if you fracked under my house, I want to know, one, how are you going to put it right and how are you going to do it quickly? Because if you, saw, if you compensate me in a suitable way, in a timely fashion... It isn't necessarily an issue. Chris, what are the benefits of fracking? Why, why do we need it? The, the main one that we, we look at is energy security. You know, we're competing in a world market now. You know, it's not just Europe. But outside of Europe, you've got emerging economies that are securing energy. So they know what the costs are for the future. You know, if we look short term, we've got to say, where are we going to be in five years, in ten years' time? I don't know that we'll reduce... Um, energy bills but we definitely need to know what will be the costs in the future and if we can at least stabilize those and possibly reduce them 
then it's worth going after that energy. Chris, say that. I'm going to bring in uh, Robin Stutchbury into the conversation, Labour councillor on Bucks County Council. Morning, Robin. You've raised concerns about this in Bucks, haven't you? Yeah, I have to. Yeah. Why? Well, I've been reading the science for a long time, and my wife made me aware of it some while ago. It was a good idea to listen to your wife. And, and, um, and it Is she a fracking expert? No, but she reads very well, and um, and she picks out things which concern her, and um, brought to my attention. I also sought to get in touch with many different people who were interested in this and had opinions of it before I made comment on it. I then went to Bucks County Council and put a motion to ask them to put it into their policy and was told I was being premature and um, scaremongering. Funny that, isn't it? But now they're actually doing a policy. But Dr Chris Green, who is an expert, um, with, with the greatest respect to your wife, says that the risk the risk is minimal if it's done properly, if, it, if it's if, you know, the rules are adhered to, that the risk is minimal and the rewards could be huge. Well, I mean, with greatest respect to him, he might be an expert. This country's full of experts, isn't it? Um, it's you know, good to listen to them, though, isn't it? You know, you know, and there's an expert on anything. You can find one in every street. Um, no, but he is actually an expert. Well, he might well be an expert, but I'm a man who worked land for 30 years, and I'm an expert about the environment. I've seen what goes on in the countryside. I've got an appreciation for it. Now, if you've got only one set of water table, and to say that there's a moderate and modest risk we are in an area of which is a drought area where there's low um water qual- the quantity of water in this area it is most ridiculous to put an industry into it which actually uses up the water which is a scarce resource going forward for something fracking which when there's other alternatives out there um what well, well, but the thing is we 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 have we are running out of energy we need to do something we're running out of energy. We're surrounded by an ocean, aren't we? And um, which is a huge amount of energy. We're surrounded. Not by enough. Not enough to fuel the whole country. Um, well, look. The government wants to make. Let's be honest about this. It's about cheap profit and taxes, isn't it? Let's be honest about it. The government sees a revenue here. They're setting up the companies which are doing is not paying the same amount of income tax or tax as they are offshore. It's a cheap industry. They're looking at a way of... Well, they, they, the government does, in fairness, they, they do give tax breaks to, to people in, investing in new energy sources, don't they? Because, because we do have to look to the future. All right, but it, this is no way. What do you want your children to be drinking out of the tap in about 30 years' time? Do you want them to be drinking water or do you want them to be... Um, um, drinking some equivalent. Now, it, 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 it may, all the disorders in the world might, and it, it may be absolutely right, and you may see whatever, but I don't expect the average person is going to see anything um, cheaper bills out of this. I don't expect the average person is going to do it. And if, if by the remote chance it's absolutely perfect and whatever, but just say it isn't, do you really want to live in an environment where the, the um, Thames, the use and everything else is no longer being polluted? It's taken us 50 years to clean all these but things. That, but that is, a, that is a worst case scenario. Dr Chris Green, you, you are a fracking expert. Is there anything you could say to, to put Robin's mind at ease? Well, I mean, it's very difficult to convince people who come out with what they think where I can only tell you what I know. I mean, I'm based in the US. You know, I work a lot in the US. I run research in the US. I do it to make this process as safe as we can possibly be. Um, there is some issues that are, you know, I've been working in the Far East and they're aggressively going after unconventionals, as we call them, and Shale's just one of those. Um, you know, we have potentially such a good resource if we go after this now, 
within five, ten years, we could have expertise that we can export to China. We can develop systems that could be the safest in the world, and we can export that. You know, we can tell people how to do it correctly. Um, I just see that the upside and for the economy, for the impact that it makes on the environment compared to what are so-called greener energies, you know, I don't know any of those that, that makes money. I don't know any of those that doesn't need significant subsidies that we are unsustainable in the long term unless we can make them more economic. Chris, thank you. Robin, last 30 seconds to you. Well, you know, I respect the man's education. I respect the man's choice. But, you know, we've at the end of the day, we've only got one earth, haven't we? And, and if we don't look after it, it won't look after us going into the future. We must be very, very careful. Robin, we have to end it there. Thank you very much. Last voice you heard there was Robin Stutchbury, Labour Councillor on Bucks County Council. And the other voice was Dr Chris Green, an expert on fracking. If you want to give us a call on that, 08459 455 555 BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the latest travel now. Uh, here's Bill Sheldrake. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's a busy morning for Weedon. The reason for that is the Bucks County Show. So it's heavier than usual on the A413 this morning between Ellsbury and Whitchurch. Boreham Woods, you've still got this burst of water main closing off Theobald Street. You've been diverted via Organ Hall Road. The motorways, normal conditions, slowing down now. M25 anti-clockwise from the M1 at 21. It slows down again from Maple Crossing Junction 17. Trains are doing fine. Bill Sheldrake, BBC Three Counties Radio. Bill, thank you very much. 7.17 exactly, Thursday the 29th of August. I'm Ian Lee, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A number of sites in Buckinghamshire are being considered for the controversial practice of oil and gas exploration known as fracking. MPs return to Westminster this morning when Parliament is recalled to debate the Syrian crisis. In sport, Stevenage are out of the League Cup after losing 2-1 to Everton last night. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks dry with sunny spells and a top temperature of 23 degrees. Coming up, we'll be talking more about Syria. Very simple question. Should Britain get involved? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Nick Coffer. Friday from midday, I'll be in Buckinghamshire to explore Willan Lake. I'll be getting out on the lake to try water sports. There'll be performances by local musicians. I'll be attempting to drive a remote-controlled car. It's not going to be as easy as it sounds. And I'll be learning about the local parks trust. Across beds, hearts and bucks. As always, you can come down and see us or listen to the programme right here. Nick Coffer. Live from Will and Lake, Friday from midday on BBC Three Counties Radio. So, where does honey come from? Bees. How do they make it? Um... Uh, they uh, collect the um, there's pollen and pollen's got nothing to do with it. I know, is it? I know it's crazy. If you can tell me where where bees, how bees make honey, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. More importantly, ever been stung by a bee and a wasp on the same day? I've been handed a, a, a top ten created by Justin Schmidt. Now, Justin Schmidt is an entomologist. He's created a top ten of insect bites and stings across six continents. Oh, at number ten, the sweat bee. 
a good old-fashioned sweat bee. Light, ephemeral, almost fruity. A tiny spark has singed a single hair on your arm. That sounds like that sounds like one of those the pleasure and pain thing. It's a fine line. Sometimes you have to cross it, uh, and I think I could cross that. He gets number nine. Fire ant. Sharp, sudden, mildly alarming. Like walking across a shag carpet and reaching for the light switch. It's poetic how he's describing this pain, isn't it? I'll give you one more. Number eight. The gap between nine and eight is quite a big leap. The bullhorn acacia ant. A rare, piercing, piercing, elevated sort of pain. Someone has fired a staple into your cheek. Oh, gets worse. Tell you more in a bit. 08459 555 555. Now, JBS was asking this question a couple of days ago, and we seem to be moving ever closer towards action in Syria, but should Britain get involved? MPs are being brought back from their summer break this afternoon for an emergency debate on the crisis in Syria. But they won't now be asked to authorise military action by British forces. David Cameron has delayed a decision after opposition by Labour. The Archbishop of Canterbury has already warned MPs not to rush any decision on military action. And it seems that the British public don't want us to go in either, as a survey shows that nearly three quarters of Britain, uh, Britons oppose going in. Well, this is what you told us in Hertfordshire. Absolutely not. No way. Because we need to be looking after our own people, first and foremost. We've lost so many soldiers with Afghanistan. It makes us more of a threat for terrorists. It makes us very vulnerable. And for those reasons alone... I feel very sorry for the Syrians, but we can't just keep fighting everybody's battles. Well, as far as I can see, the Assad is presumably winning. I mean, there is never going to be peace there. I mean, obviously, the place is split. Uh, how that will be resolved, I don't know. Getting Western powers in there, did that help in Iraq? Look at Iraq now. Do we still have violence in Iraq? Yes, on a day-to-day occurrence. Has that achieved anything? Not a lot. I feel, uh, yeah, like most people, I think it's horrendous. I think it's uh, just awful to see children suffering like that. But there's no real guarantee that we won't make more children suffer if we start getting into a big conflict with Syria. We should think long and hard before we get involved. But we need to send humanitarian aid in. We can't allow anyone to suffer like that. Well, those are voices of people living in Hertfordshire. What do you think? 08459 455 555. Dr Abdul Tarun is a Syrian lecturer at the University of Bedfordshire and joins me now. Dr Abdul, should Britain go into Syria? I think yes. Uh, I, I do understand the concerns of the public people about the involvement in another war, but uh, to be honest with you, it is different from the case of Iraq or Afghanistan. What we are asking now is simply to send a message to this regime that chemical weapons are not to be used. They are against humanity and we should stop them against them as a humanity. What we are asking is a surgical operation that uh, deter the use of chemical weapons and to really force this regime to think seriously before crossing this red line. Without such kind of intervention, I think every dictator in this world will be happy and able to use the chemical weapons. Uh, I think the, 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 the parallels that some people are drawing towards Iraq, I know it is a, it's a different situation, but the similarities are that when it came to Iraq, we had incontrovertible evidence that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. It turns out he didn't. We were told we would go in there for a very short time. We've been there for 10 years. And I think people are perhaps worried that this will be another long, drawn-out conflict. And we don't have the evidence yet to suggest 
who used chemical weapons if they were used? Actually, you are right, but the point is, in the case of Iraq, there was no evidence, as you mentioned. At this case, I think over the last 30 months, the social media is full of evidence of weapons of different types used against the civilians. So far, 110,000 confirmed dead. About 1.7 million housing units are destroyed. About 8 million people are either refugees or displaced. I think all of these statistics shows that mm. there is a genuine problem and we should stop it. And the last uh, alleged uh, chemical weapon is almost confirmed now by all the intelligence uh, uh, agencies across the world. And I think we should not be that hesitant to really act as humans to stop this massacre. And uh, But uh, at the same time, I'm not saying that we should rush towards intervention in that uh, case, because I think the time is crucial. Maybe we should show the stick that we are serious uh, as humans against using these weapons, and at the same time maybe trying to broker a deal with this regime to step down and to leave the country and give the people another chance to live in peace. I think the Syrian people deserve this chance, and I think we should give them this chance. If we assume that it was Assad that uh, did use chemical weapons, I, I suppose part of the danger is if, if we launch some sort of attack and get it slightly wrong, then those chemical weapons could end up in the hands of the rebels, and, and, and there's no, we, we don't know if they would be able to stop using them. I think the chemical weapons are not like any traditional weapons where any rebels could use them easily. They are highly sophisticated and they require highly sophisticated equipment to launch and to use. I think all of these chemical weapons are under scrutiny and under constant observation by the intelligence forces and mainly the Russians and the Americans. So it is not very likely that these weapons will be uh, kept or will be held by the rebels. As long as the operation is really specific and uh, smart, I think the objectives could be achieved and uh, the chemical weapons could be really secured. Eventually, the, the opposition, the Syrian oppositions are not fancy of using chemical weapons. They just want to stop the killing in their own people and they want simply the regime to step down in order to create a new start for this uh, generation. If there is evidence that proves Assad has uh, used chemical weapons and broken, I think it's the 1993 agreement, isn't it, on chemical weapons? Yeah. Then why haven't China and Russia come out against this? Because th th if it's true, then he is breaking international law. I think uh, Chinese and Russian are simply playing politics at this moment and they want to simply score some points against the West and America particularly. So I think the, the Syrian uh, case is now used as a battleground for different uh, propositions and different forces and unfortunately the Syrians are suffering from this proposition uh, for the, from this war over the last two years and a half the Russian and Chinese has blocked the uh, the uh, uh, International Security Council three times and they already know to use the veto for the fourth time just not to condemn the regime in Syria so I think they are not concerned about the international law they are using it as a shield mm. to suit their own proposition and their own ideology I think we should, of course we should have a legal basis for this uh, intervention, however the legal uh, inter uh, basis is there. It is the right or the responsibility to protect the civilians, which is again a very important proposition and, uh, and maybe 
is enough to suppose that such intervention is needed, is legal, and it is human in, 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 in some way or other. Abdul, you've got family in Syria at the moment. Have you been able to speak to them? Are they in areas that have, have been particularly troubled? Actually, um, most of my family is still there. Some of my family have managed to leave the country. We uh, There are difficulties contacting them, but from time to time we manage to talk to them. The situation is uh, appalling. Although, although my family, I have lost about five members of my family, not from the... Uh, directly close to me they are from the second and third uh, circle of my family but uh, the situation is very bad and uh, of course uh, we have lost all, everything almost in terms of property in terms of uh, uh, homes and they are all of them are now displaced inside Syria or outside Syria well, listen, I, I, I wish the very best for your family members still out there it's Dr. Abdul Tarun, Syrian lecturer at University of Bedfordshire 08459 four double five five double five. Dennis is in Dunstable. Dennis, uh, good morning. The, the doctor puts forward a very good argument for us getting involved, doesn't he? Absolutely not. It's a religious war in the end, and do we want once in is a civil war? Whoever wins, we'll lose because the winners will then start knocking off the opposition, as they've done in all civil wars. But the thing about this is, and, and there are civil wars, Sri Lanka, for example, that we don't get involved in, what, what's different about this is that uh, if we assume Assad has used chemical weapons, he has broken international law. Yes, but don't we're still arguing about those missing weapons with the last lot we had. You know, I, I wouldn't trust a politician to tell me it was going to go dark before morning, quite frankly. Supposing we had, supposing you were presented with evidence that 100% proved Assad had used chemical weapons yes. and had broken the 1993 Chemical Weapons Agreement, yeah. would you then say that we should go in? No. Because you're going to change the, the regime, whatever happens, and you will, it's, we're in a no-win situation. Whichever lot we help, right, will then have a go at the other lot, so we'll make enemies from that side, and then the, the people we've helped would ask us to get out as quick as possible. If we, if we don't kind of make some sort of gesture, yes. uh, an aggressive gesture, then we are saying to any other dodgepot out there, yeah, it's all right to use chemical weapons, nah, don't worry, you, you, of course you can use them. Of course they'd use them. It's a waste that experts are, are idiots because they don't live in the real world like the rest of us. They'll tell us how we shouldn't do it, but that doesn't stop it happening. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't want any more of our lads being killed in op operations which have no sequence whatsoever at all. We're nothing to do with those. Dennis, thank you very much indeed. Dennis and Dunst with the wise words that experts are idiots. What do you think? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. When you hear someone like Dr. Abdul Tarun, his family are out there. He's lost five members of his family. He puts forward a very good argument, I think, for for us getting involved. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five seven thirty. BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the travel with Bill. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Yes, and the Bucks County showmaking is a busy one this morning for the A413 in the Wheaton, Theobald Street in Boreham Woods. You've got that close-up for the Burst Waterway. M25, the usual slowdown now from the M1 at 21 towards Kings Langley at 20. And then you're slowing down again from Junction 17 from Maple Cross to Junction 16, the M40. Trains all looking OK. Bill Sheldrake, BBC Three Counties Radio. Bill, thank you very much. 7.30, let's get the news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, the headlines.
Since a number of sites across Buckinghamshire are being considered for the controversial practice of oil and gas exploration known as fracking. MPs returned to Westminster this morning when Parliament is recalled to debate the Syrian crisis, but they won't be asked to authorise military action. And the Care Quality Commission has outlined serious concerns about staffing levels, worker support and the assessment of service quality at Bedford Hospital. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Watford are through to the third round of the Capital One Cup for the first time since 2008 after they beat Bournemouth 2-0 at Vicarage Road last night. Gianfranco Zola is looking forward to facing Chris Hewton's side at home in the third round. No, very pleased. Good. It's what we wanted. Um, it will be a good test for us, so looking forward. Stevenage are out of the League Cup after losing 2-1 in extra time against Everton. Stevenage were the first to score with a Luke Freeman goal, but the Toffees nicked the winner thanks to Marion Fuliani, who found the back of the net with just five minutes remaining. Stevenage boss Graham Wesley didn't take kindly to the suggestion that his side were brave underdogs. You know, we're disappointed with ourselves to, to have come and lost. Um, but I know what you're saying in the sense that um, you know, at this early stage of our development as a team, there's a lot of new players coming together, a lot of players that I've inherited that are learning me. And um, at this early stage, um, the lads put in a, a strong display, a very hard-working display, a very professional display, and um, they deserve credit for that. Andy Morris reached the second round of the US Open after a comfortable straight sets win over Frenchman Mikael Lodra at Flushing Meadows. Second serve, first of the match points. Lodra in at the net, punches the volley deep. Murray goes down the line with the backhand. Lodra plays the volley, the put away for Murray. He decides to play the lob. Lodra throws a racket in the air. It makes no contact with the ball. And the match finishes in exhibition style. And it's been a very entertaining hour and a half's work for Andy Murray. And he's got his US Open title defence off to a cracking start under the lights in New York. And Laura Robson will meet Lee Nair in the third round of the US Open, a repeat of last year, after seeing off Caroline Garcia of France in round two last night. And that's your latest news and sport. I'll be back with more at eight o'clock. Did that football man mm. say um, that, that his players are learning him? Yeah. Do they mean that they're learning him? Learning about... Uh, yeah, he did. Oh! Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. <sighs> Coming up in the next 30 minutes of the show, we'll be talking about the Paralympics one year on. Has our attitude towards disabled people really changed? Taking your calls on Syria. I see the phone lines have gone a little bit crazy on that. Should we get involved? 08459 455 555. But before that, more importantly, it's bees. Bees. There's been a warning that this uh, this morning that Britain is facing a wasp epidemic. When I came back from my holiday, it was like uh, a wasp course, wasp again, Vesuvius. Uh, my f- floor was covered with dead bees. I say covered. There were twelve, but they were big. <laughs> there are bees and wasps everywhere. Well, the Bees, Wasps and Ant Recording Society, it exists. You can go to boise.com. They say the harsh winter has meant there are more of them because they've stayed in hibernation for a bit longer and they're starting to emerge from their nests now. Well, we've been looking into this. There are several aspects to this story, aren't there, Justin? Absolutely. Lots of aspects. Too many aspects, Ian. Some would would say that one is too many aspects (laughs) on this story, but we're going with it, despite the naysayers. Mm. First of all, my little boy over the holiday said, Dada, honey comes from bees, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Well well done, uh, Astro. Oh boy, good. You, you're very. How do they make it? Well, what they do is they, <laughs> they, um, hang on. Uh, so they get the, uh, they get pollen. Yeah. And I did, I do. Well, I do now because I've researched it. But I did not know how honey 
was made. I didn't know. Don't worry, we've got some cracking answers coming up, hopefully an expert later, but I've been asking people where honey comes from and how it's made. We have got some genius answers coming up after 8 o'clock. It's one of those things, everyone thinks they know, then you actually question them, they don't. But the other aspect to this was was the the intensity of the sting, the bees or the wasps, whose sting is the worst, and has anybody been stung by a bee and a wasp on the same day? Yeah, tough things uh, to go out and find people on. Personally, for me, it's got to be a bee sting. That's so, so painful, so I prefer to be stung by a wasp. Uh, The challenge this morning to find somebody who's been stung by both on the same day, well, we've got some stories coming up here. Um, Some people didn't really understand the question, which you might enjoy, but uh, here's what people in Lucent had to say this morning. Wasp. Tell us why. Because the bees die otherwise. We want to know, Adam, have you ever been stung by a bee and a wasp on the same day? I've never been stung by a st- bee or a wasp. How? How have you avoided them? I don't know, but my kids have got for it. <laughs> I mean, if you were to be stung by one of them, let's just say today it happens, and let's hope it doesn't, but who would you prefer to be stung by? A bee. Why a bee? It'll go off and die then, won't it? Why a bee? Don't know. I suppose it sounds better. What do you want to ask me? So it's a tough question today. No. What do you want to ask me? OK. You've got the option to be stung by a bee or a wasp. Who would you go for? Bee. Why a bee? When I lived in Cannington, the, the lady next door said to me, can you lift this council sack and sling it in a bin? So I picked it up, there was a wasp nest in there, and I got stung six times up here. Sir, do you like wasps? Sorry? Do you like wasps? What is the wasps? No, wasps. No, I don't know what is. Bees? What is bees? Oh, well, I was going to ask you, if you had to be stung by one, who would you prefer to be stung by? But, but you don't know what they are, do you? What do I prefer to stand by? No. In what matters? No. If you had to be stung by a bee or a wasp, who would you prefer to be stung by? The, the problem is, I don't understand that, that question. The wasps and the bees, I, I don't know what, what it is, so I don't know what to give you. All yeah. oh, right, they, they sting you. Sorry? They're, they're insects, they sting you. You know, bees and wasps. Sorry. So we're looking for anybody today who's been stung by a bee and a wasp on the same day. Has that happened to you? No. I mean, if you had to be stung by one of them, who would you prefer to be stung by? A bee or a wasp? Neither. Neither. Excuse me. I'm busy. Hang on a second. There's, there is more to that gentleman's story than meets the ear. I know. I know. So some very negative people this morning. Very negative. Yeah, very D- negative. Disappointed. We, I, I've got the, the top ten of insect um, stings and bites in front of me. Let's oh, I've the, heard about this. The top three, the paper wasp, yeah. caustic and burning, distinctly bitter aftertaste, like spilling a beaker of hydrochloric acid on a paper cut. Oh. Ouch. No, number two, the pepsis wasp. Blinding. Fierce. He's blinding. Wow. <laughs> Shockingly electric. A running hairdryer has been dropped into your bubble bath. Oh. But that's not number one. <laughs> Come on, what's number one? Number then? one is the bullet ant. Okay. What is that? I don't, I've got no idea, but I'm terrified. I don't want this. The pain is pure, intense, and brilliant. Like fire walking over flaming charcoal with a three inch rusty nail in your heel. It sounds like a buzz. We can, let's, let's go and find one of these ants. Oh, Justin. You didn't just do a bee pun, did you? I think so. I have to cut you off for that. Andy's in uh, Alzi. Uh, hello, Andy. Hello, mate. You right? Yeah, I'm good, thank you very much. Did you, you, have you been stung by a bee and a wasp on the same day? Uh, uh, no, no. If you had to be stung by one, which would you go for? Um, I wouldn't want to be any of them, but I suppose um, a wasp, because... Uh at least uh, that'll sod off afterwards and uh, a bee would die and I wouldn't want the bee to die. Well, no, Andy, now, Andy, stay there, because I always thought that the bee died, OK, if it stung yeah. you. 
It yeah. turns out that's a bit of a myth. And the reason I know that is work experience Ollie, who's who's back on work experience. Ollie, you've been investing. We had an, a proper argument about this, didn't we? It's true. I think it's an urban myth that, that bees die once they've, they've stung you. And, and you went as far as to actually Google this. I Googled it. And the honeybees, yes, it is true about honeybees. Honeybee yeah. stings you. That's it for it. Yeah. It's a goner. Every other kind of bee, though, they can sting you as many times as they like. Really? I thought that their, their um, backside's detached. No, no, you're thinking of the honeybee. Ha- but, OK, what's the percentage of honeybees compared to the rest of the bees? Mm, they're all dying out, aren't they? Not many. I don't know. OK, he's done half of the research, so it's a bit of a myth. Anyway, Andy, you, you know how bees make honey, do you? I do, I do. Oh, just quickly, on the, on the bee sting bit, it's because the, the sting on the bee is serrated at the... At the um, like, like a, uh, an old dagger uh, serration. Yeah, the old so, daggers. So, yeah. 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 So when it, when it, go, it go in, okay, but when it comes out, it can't come out. So that's why the, the body of the uh, honeybee detaches. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, bees make honey. They they collect the nectar from the uh, from the flowers. Yeah. And then they then they take that back to the uh, to the hive, and then they store it in the in the little honeycombs, and that's how you make make honey. But there's more. There's more to it than that, Andy. Is it? Yeah, there's more to it than than that. The bee cho- the bee chews the nectar. Well, I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, let someone see if they can call in and tell us. There's more to it than just taking a bit of nectar back to the the honeycomb. Oh, there's loads more to it. Now it's quite disgusting when you find out what goes on. Sorry to cut you short, Andy. I've got to, I've got to move on. I've, yes, I've got that. Um, hey, do you remember this? The Paralympic Games has set new records every day. Sporting records, records for crowds, for television audiences, for unbridled spirit. In this country, we will never think of sport the same way, and we will never think of disability the same way. Well, it's a nice thought, as Lord Coe speaking at the end of last year's Paralympic Games, but has our view of disability changed since then? To mark the one-year anniversary, the disability charity Scope has published a survey. It's found that four out of five disabled people say attitudes towards them haven't improved since the uh, Games, and the charity says any legacy hangs in the balance. Well, Martin McElhatton is the chief executive of Wheelpower, a charity based at Stoke Mandeville Stadium, which helps uh, transform people's lives through sport. Joins me now. Good morning, Martin. Good morning. Do you agree with the findings uh, of the survey by Scope? Well, I have to say our experience is, is not the same, and we've seen a really positive impact of the Paralympic Games in London last year and um, you know perhaps that's because Stoke Mandeville is is synonymous with the Paralympic movement and you know steeped in the heritage but really we've seen a really positive momentum from the games increasing the number of disabled children who have taken part in our activities but also the number of disabled people who've used the facilities at the stadium and we've you know increased by 50 percent over the last 12 months. And have people's attitudes towards uh, the disabled, in inverted commas, it's a slightly lazy phrase, uh, not quite sure what it means, but uh, has that improved or worsened, would you say, over the last 12 months? Well, I mean, I'm a wheelchair user myself, and, and I've seen a really positive you know, reaction from you know, people in the streets. And, you know, certainly, uh, I mean, we've been around talking to children in schools, and the awareness levels are just at, at new heights. So the Games have done a fantastic job in raising people's awareness about you know, sport for people with disabilities and the, you know, the positive impact they can have on changing people's lives. So, 
you know, from a sporting context, obviously, you know, I think it is a really positive uh, story. In the wider um, world for disabled people, I think there are still challenges, but, uh, you know, I think there are things to be worked on. It's the anniversary of the uh, Paralympics. Have you got anything planned to celebrate? Yes, well, we've got a, a whole day of sports and activities over at... Oh, how can, how can you be bothered, Martin? How can you be bothered? Oh, well, you know, it goes on, and, and our role is very much about the grassroots of, of sports, so getting young and newly disabled people into sports. So, I mean, we've got patients coming over from the spinal unit at Stoke Mandeville. So 12 months ago, they weren't even thinking about sport yeah. for disabled people. They weren't even paralysed. Now, you know, we're introducing them to sport and they'll get a chance to try a range of sports and from that, hopefully they'll see that sport can play a really positive impact in their life in terms of, of helping them to keep fit and healthy uh, and, you know, that will, you know, potentially lead for one or two of them to go on uh, to take part in competition and who knows be in the Paralympics in you the might future. have some potential uh, Olympians in there my tongue is in my cheek I'm essentially a very very lazy man <laughs> uh, that's that's why I'm questioning your your attitude towards this what kind of sports will you be having today well we've got uh, a demonstration of wheelchair basketball from the Great Britain under 25 team so that's you know huge potential for uh, for Rio in uh, 2016 we've got archery we've got wheelchair tennis we've got cycling and ath- athletics uh, and yeah, we've got um, shooting where we've got the GB uh, shooters based at Stoke Mandeville. And, uh, you know, we're also having a, a, a big announcement by the International Paralympic Committee uh, about the future role that um, Stoke Mandeville will play in uh, Paralympic uh, flame lighting. So we're excited to hear what that's going to be. Fantastic. And, and the weather's going to be pretty good today, isn't it? So it's, it's all looking all right, I think. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic day. And we've got the president of the International Paralympic committee coming to Buckinghamshire, um, you know, returning Sir Philip Craven and a whole load of other dignitaries from uh, around the world and, and around the UK and a few Paralympians who won gold medals. We've got Hannah Cockcroft who won gold in the wheelchair racing and Sophie Christensen who won gold medals in the equestrian coming along. So it's going to be a fantastic day and we're delighted to be working with, you know, British Paralympic Association, our partners in Buckinghamshire and, and everyone to... Uh, you know, to really create this lasting legacy. I mean, everyone talks about it, but we've got to build on that momentum and try and get more people with disabilities doing sport. Martin, have a great day. Martin McElhatton, Chief Executive of uh, Wheel Power, charity based at Stoke Mandeville. And of course, he's t- talked about the dignitaries that are going to be there. He forgot to mention the biggest. Roberto will be live at Stoke Mandeville Stadium in Aylesbury today between three and seven. You'll be able to listen to that on his show later on today. Right, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 7.45. Let's get the travel now with Bill. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, not quite 8 o'clock, but already looking very busy for Wheaton because of the Bucks County Show. That is actually open from 8 o'clock till 6 o'clock this evening. We're already looking heavy on the A413 on my census. In Boreham Woods, you've got the Burst Water Main. That's close off Theobald Street. Organ Hall Road is your diversion. M25 is now waking up now from the M1 at 21. It slows down again from Maple Cross at 17 to the M40 and Churches 16 on the anti-clockwise stretch. Bill Sheldrake, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Bill. 
7.46, Thursday the 29th of August. I'm Ian Lee, and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A number of sites in Buckinghamshire are being considered for the controversial practice of oil and gas exploration known as fracking. MPs return to Westminster this morning when Parliament is recalled to debate the Syrian crisis, but they won't now be asked to authorise military action. In sport, Watford are through to the third round of the Capital One Cup for the first time since 2008, after they beat Bournemouth 2-0 at Vicarage Road. Coming up, we'll take your calls on Syria. Should Britain get involved? 08459 455 555. But coming up to 7.47, let's get the weather with Elizabeth Rizzini. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, very good morning to you. It's going to be another beautiful day actually across the three counties. Plenty of good spells of sunshine around. A bit more in the way of fair weather cloud perhaps here and there through the afternoon, it's true. But temperatures still doing well, up to 23 or 24 degrees Celsius and that of course is 75 in Fahrenheit. So a lovely morning, turning a bit cloudier into the afternoon and uh, still feeling very warm in the sunshine with just light winds. Into this evening and overnight, the breeze is going to pick up and that will put pay to any mist patches really so um so yeah a bit of a brighter start to the day tomorrow cloudy breezy dry overnight temperatures down to 15 or 16 degrees celsius touch milder than it was last night and then tomorrow dry bright and warm we'll see some sunny spells around again through the late morning into the afternoon and as we get to the weekend well it's going to start to feel a little bit more autumnal actually certainly a bit cooler with a northwesterly breeze that's the forecast If you've got a problem with a company, a council or an organisation, there's one man you should come and speak to. You've got a problem with a mattress, I gather. Tell me all about it without naming any company name. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Well, every time she tried to book, the trip was cancelled because of adverse weather. The JVS show fights for your rights and tackles your consumer problems. Said send the receipt off and you'll get the cheque in the post. If you need our help... I went to speak to the man that runs this golf club. Email jvsshow at bd. I'm just very pleased that you've got the money. And we could do the same for you. Thanks ever so much, Jonathan. The JVS Show on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. 7.48, it's going to be quite a nice day today. Now, we're talking about Syria. MPs are going to be returning to Westminster this morning. What do you think? It's looking pretty likely that we are going to get involved on some level. Well, should Britain get involved? 08459 455 555. Shirley's in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning, Ian. Shirley, should we get involved? No. Why? I don't think we should. We're too fond of getting involved in other countries' problems that are nothing to do with us. Send humanitarian aid, yes, by all means. But as for, as for sending the forces in, definitely not. Definitely not. The problem is, uh, is if we assume that Assad has used chemical weapons, we don't know that for sure, we, we need to wait for the evidence, but if we assume he has, he has broken the international law. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that, but... And don't we, need, don't we need to kind of do something to, to show him and other despots around the world that there are rules and you cannot break those rules? Well, then they've got to think of other ways of doing that. Those chemical weapons could end up over here. How? Well, that, terrorists. Terrorists here and there's terrorists everywhere. They could end up here and we could all end up being 
done with chemical weapons. But what, what, what if we don't... Uh, I, I would imagine, and I don't know this, I'm, I'm kind of guessing here, mm. I would imagine that the military plans would be... I, I, I'm pretty sure they would know where these chemical weapons factories are. The plan would be to, to, to bomb them. Uh, it, what else do we do, Shirley? Send him a letter saying, come on now, play no, fair. Yeah, if they bomb them in, what's going to happen then? It's going to send these chemicals all over the place. I mean, we've seen it before. Look what happened when Chernobyl had a had a problem. That ended up in other countries. I, I don't. Th- I don't think a cloud from uh, uh, again. I don't know if anyone knows more science than this. I don't think a cloud from a, a mustard gas factory, for example, would be able to spread as far as a, a nuclear uh, cloud from Chernobyl. Well, who knows? That's something we don't know. But that you know, they're getting rid of the soldiers and everything. Where are all these? if they send the army in where are they all going to come from I mean we've only got to look at Iraq and Afghanistan and see what happened there and we've still got forces out there the thing I find um, amusing if amusing is not too flippant a word to use about this horrendous situation Mm. do you know what President Assad's job used to be when he worked in this country no I don't he was an optician really why doesn't he go back to being an optician instead of flipping warmonger I, I'll, I'll put that to him. He was he was an eye doctor at uh, Moorfields Eye Hospital, which I found an incredible thing. Yes, from optician to warmonger in 12 easy steps. Ken's in Luton. Morning, Ken. Morning, Ian. Should we get involved, Ken? No, mate. Why? Well, where are all these Arab countries that are royal rich and they're armed up to the teeth with the latest weaponry? Where are they? They don't want to get involved because they're tribal. So... When we come out of there, after doing our worst, it'll go back to the same as like Iraq and everything else. They'll fight amongst themselves, and what they what we lost a few a few lads. That's all we've lost. But if if the countries, the sort of neighbouring Arab countries, get involved, uh, then they could potentially get some sort of chemical or missile launch on them, couldn't they? Oh, that's a shame, isn't it? They've got the latest defence we- weaponry. They don't. They don't have the old second-hand machine gun thing. They have the latest missiles. I'm, I'm looking at the map around there because it's not an area I'm too familiar. With. Obviously, to the north of Syria, you've got Turkey, and Turkey have yeah. um, Turkey have hit back. Yes. Uh, you've got I- Iraq, and well, that's a mess. Well, that's a mess. But you've got Iran, th- and they've already said, "Look, if you get involved, you're going to regret it." So they're, they're they're kind of flicking their nose at us. They only and want an excuse to go in and start having a go at Israel while they're at it. Well, well, th- this is the thing, and then you've got you've got Israel there. So that's you know, it, it, it's <laughs> it's a mess, isn't it? It is, Ian, and that's the way it's going to stay. Us helping out now ain't going to stop the thing. We should learn by our lesson. We're still in the Falklands. What are we... Well, yeah, but we're not active in the Falklands. We're we're just kind of, you know, it's just a token force. A million quid a week it's costing us to have our forces down there. So, you know, we're still paying for that. Ken, thank you very much indeed. No one said yes so far. We should get involved. They've broken the law. Assad, if he has launched the chemical weapons, has broken the... I think it's... I'm saying it as though I know this for a fact, I'm pretty sure. The 1993 agreement on the use of chemical weapons. It's weird, isn't it? There are rules to war. I always find that strange. There are rules on how you can and cannot fight a war. You could bomb, um, you know, a part of a town, a block of flats. You can bomb it, that's fine. You can't use chemical weapons on it.
Um, Facebook. Colin says, no, stay out of it. There's no money to continue trying to police the world. Their mess, their problem. Let someone else help for a change. Tina, why is it always our country that gets involved? We have enough problems of our own without getting involved in everyone else's. Let them deal with it. Angela says, leave it to the UN to make any intervention decisions. Well, China and Russia are never going to say yes. Um, Amanda, oh, here we go. Amanda says, wow, I'm amazed. Not just on here, but generally how many people think it's okay for Britain to just sit back and watch innocents being slaughtered? One great world, I thought. Clearly not. Just as long as the badgers don't suffer, huh? And Scott says, I'd, I say stay out of it. Let them sort out their own affairs. They need their heads knocked together. I think they need a little more than their heads knocked together. It's the 1993 Chemical Weapons Convention. Thank you for that. Uh, wasps, bees. Ever been stung by a wasp and bee on the same day? April from Luton. I have, yep. Wow, and you've lived to tell the tale. How? how? Uh, long story short, I'd been bitten during the night by several mosquitoes about 14 times. I then went into the garden during the day to clear up um, the mess from... We had a lot of wind and it had broken a branch off our Victoria Oh, I thought you tree. meant you had a lot of wind, but, it, OK, it was a windy day. It had been a windy yes. couple of days. Yes. And it had taken a branch down on our Victoria plum tree, which was full of fruit. Oh, So I was man. clearing that mess up and the wasps were mad over that, so I got stung about three or four times. Describe the feeling of a wasp sting. Um, I'd say, like... Well, do you know, it's a bit like a nettle. Oh, okay. But a little bit more intense. And why was my why was my little boy crying like such a baby over over the holiday when he got stung by a wasp? Well, it is like an intense what a baby. nettle sting. Okay. So I'd been stung four or five times. I'd had enough, so I decided to go off to the local store and get some cream for all the bites and stings I had. Yes. Came back, took my shoes off because it was really hot. Yeah. Shoes and socks off. Walked inside and stood on a bumblebee. Oh, wow! And it stung. Oh yeah. And what was the, which was the worst feeling? The bee. The bee was definitely worse. My Did husband came in and found, found found me sitting on the floor, crying, bubbling mess. The, so the bee was. Did the did the bee die after it stung you? Yes, but I don't think it died because oh. it stung me. I think it died because I stood on it. Oh, okay. We're, we're, it's incontrovert. We can't. We cannot use that as evidence in court, my lad. We do not. We're debating whether bees actually die when you they sting you or, or not. I don't believe all bees die when they sting you. I believe some do and some don't. April in Luton. Thank you very much indeed for your call. There we go. Stung by a wasp and a bee on the same day. You see. Um. Reg in St Albans. Ian, a bee won't hurt you. I pick them up all the time. Just let them walk on your hands. Oh, get get out of it, Reg. I want to... F- you get those nut jobs, don't you? Who make beards out of bees. That's a weird thing to do. Beards out of bees. Oh, speaking of uh, um, things that are not connected to bees and beards in the slightest, sorry. It's just reminded me. I've seen the f- one of the funniest videos online. I'm not really a big fan of these uh, online crazy videos. Saw this and thought you'd loll at it. But it's brilliant. It's a Japanese sort of candid camera show. Have you seen it? The dinosaur. It's so funny. It's this Japanese lad. He's in an off. He's in the, like an office complex. He's walking down the corridor, and suddenly in the corridor opposite him, he just sees about twenty people running and screaming and looking over their shoulder, and he stops, and he's like, "What? What's going on?" <laughs> yeah, and then a dinosaur pops its head around the corner, and this bloke 
he wets himself, I think I can say. He is terrified. And it's, it's, it's a guy in a dinosaur suit, but it's done brilliantly. And this dinosaur then chases him down, uh, down the corridor. And this guy is terrified. And he's falling on the floor. He's virtually crying. And he keeps falling, doesn't he? That's the thing. You think that you'd run away, you'd, you'd get into focus. He, but he's, he's doing that thing they do in films or Doctor Who where you're running and you're just falling over. It's so funny. Go, Google Japanese dinosaur prank on YouTube. It is just wonderful. Right, 7.58, let's get the travel news now. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, it's pretty busy this morning for Weedon. There is a reason for that, which is the Bucks County Show. It's on the A413, so from Ellsbury to Whitchurch, it's looking uh, quite busy. Theobald Street to Bournemouth, it's still closed off because of that burst water main. Uh, and if you're heading to the M25, mostly anti-clockwise, it's looking pretty slow so far on the sensors. From Chorleywood at 18 to the M40 at Junction 16. We're all doing OK on the public transport front. Bill Sheldrake, BBC Three Counties Radio. Bill, thank you very much indeed. Should Britain get involved in Syria? Very simple question. Uh, but so far, we've only had one person on Facebook saying, yes, and of course we should. It's awful what's going on out there. We should definitely get involved. Most of you saying no, not in the slightest. Well, Assad, if he has used chemical weapons, has broken international law. Should we? 08459 455 555 And fracking may be coming to your town Does that excite you or fill you with fear? Here's the news with Catherine On FM, AM, online and digital radio This is BBC Three Counties Radio It's eight o'clock. The headlines, potential fracking sites identified in Buckinghamshire. Watchdog highlights Bedford Hospital concerns and revamped A&E opens at the Lister. BBC Three Counties Radio. A number of sites in Buckinghamshire are being considered for the controversial practice of oil and gas exploration known as fracking. The county council's begun developing its policy on the process ahead of a government sell-off of licences next year. Fracking's been linked with pollution and in some cases mild earthquakes and was the subject of recent high-profile protests in Sussex. Dr Chris Green is an expert on the process and while he admits there are risks, he believes they're worth taking. I don't know that we'll reduce um, energy bills but we definitely need to know what will be the costs in the future and if we can at least stabilise those and possibly reduce them then it's worth going after that energy. MPs returned to Westminster this morning to vote on the principle of British military intervention in Syria. There'll be a second debate after UN weapons inspectors have submitted a report on last week's suspected chemical attack in Damascus. Labour had threatened to vote against the government. The Foreign Secretary, William Hague, says it's important to seek agreement on the issue. We must be prepared to take action against the use of chemical weapons by the Assad regime, but it also reflects the desire to proceed on a consensual basis ensure that there is widespread support uh, across the House of Commons and, of course, respect for the United Nations processes as well. The Home Secretary, Theresa May, has said action must be taken to improve how the police deal with domestic violence. Most forces have recorded an increase in reported incidents, but a decrease in the number of convictions. A post-mortem is being carried out to determine what caused the death of a 17-year-old girl from North Bedfordshire. Police say she died shortly after returning from the Reading Festival on Monday. The health regulator, the Care Quality Commission, says it has major concerns over several services provided at Bedford Hospital. The paediatric unit at the Trust has already seen several of its services 
services withdrawn, including inpatient care in the department's accident and emergency. Tony Fisher has more. In the report out today, the watchdog identified major concerns relating to staffing, supporting workers and assessing and monitoring the quality of service provision. In particular, it raises concerns about the quality of care provided on one elderly ward, as well as consultant staffing levels in A&E and the stroke unit. The Trust apologises to its patients and the community for the failings and says it's committed to putting things right. A new casualty department for adults opens at the Lister Hospital in Stevenage this morning. It's part of a £19 million redevelopment of the hospital's accident and emergency facilities. In sport, Watford are through to the third round of the Capital One Cup for the first time since 2008 after beating Bournemouth 2-0 at Vicarage Road last night. Meanwhile, Stevenage were knocked out of the League Cup. They lost 2-1 to Everton in extra time. The weather, dry with sunny spells and a top temperature of 23 degrees Celsius. That's 73 degrees Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport on Online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Nope. Still not there? Hang on, give us a minute. Shall I carry on? Well, have you got... I've got nothing to say, I can... uh... Make up a story, but do it in your authoritative voice. Okay. Ian Lee was stung by both a wasp and a bee. No, that's no... Do it in in the proper news voice, come on. Um, You're doing a voice there. It's my making it up voice. No, do it, do it, do it. And earlier today, Ian Lee was stung by both a wasp and a bee in a bizarre turn of events. Were you? Uh, yeah, uh... No. Morning, this is Ian Lee. I've been stung by neither a wasp nor a bee today. Oh, I'm tempting fate. I like tempting fate. Me and my friend once used to play a game where we tempted fate, and then shortly after that we uh, killed a crow in a car. No, we didn't sacrifice it. No, we, we smashed into it, and we went, that's going to be a bad omen, hasn't it? I think it is. Anyway, lots coming up between now and nine o'clock, including fracking. The three counties could soon be fracked. It's being looked at as an option. What do you think? Does that fill you with fear? I think, too, the thing that fills me with fear when we talk about fracking is it means we'll probably get loads of those protesters hanging out, living in tents and smoking pot. MPs return to Westminster this morning when Parliament is recalled to debate the Syrian crisis. Well, should Britain get involved in Syria? And today we're talking about bees. We're celebrating the magic of bees and taking our hats off to the honeymakers. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Send me a text 81333. Start your text 3CR and you can give me a call 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. The arguments for fracking say there'll be cheaper fuel bills and a more secure energy supply for years to come. Well, those again say the process causes earthquakes and leads to environmental damage and pollution of our water supply. Well, now Buckinghamshire County Council is to start to look at a policy on fracking in parts of the county. These people in Beaconsfield told our reporter Sophie Solaria their views last night. I'm very against fracking altogether. I think we should be investing money in green energy and eco-fuels and it's just burning more fossil fuels. I'm from Pennsylvania in the United States and they frack there. And it's been going on for a bit and you can definitely see that the water does get polluted. And I think the same thing is going to happen here, where even though there are incidents, they seem to get hushed up. I think the jury's out whether fracking is good, but I definitely think it does have effects for local people living there. 
I think it's a it's a fine idea, provided it doesn't scar the landscape. So you so, actually don't mind the idea of fracking? You're not against it like many other people are? No, I'm not I'm against the idea of being short of energy. So fracking's the best way to get fuel for energy, that I'm in favour of it, yes, provided it doesn't uh, spoil what little landscape we've got left in South Pines. You know, there are lots of people against fracking. And um, certainly we would, we would be, wouldn't we, if it, if it came to Buckinghamshire, we would certainly take some kind of protesting action. <laughs> well, our political reporter, Paul Scoynes, joins me now. Paul, is it safe? Well, Ian, I think there's, there's two things here. There is some anecdotal sort of evidence from the states uh, that shows that there has been some contamination of the water supply in the process of fracking. Um, the, the, uh, you know, I think we, we sort of know that the chemicals that are used in the, in, in the process have, in some areas, it's understood, leached into the aquifer, which is the sort of the, the water table. Um, there is also that anecdotal evidence about whether or not it causes tremors um, and we spoke earlier on to uh, dr chris green who's an expert in fracking and he said if it's done properly it is safe it's safe if it's done properly that the issues that are you know that everybody's focusing are you know we have to make sure that we do these uh the tests that we do the analysis before we go ahead and try and roll out hydraulic fracturing on a large scale what are the potential problems if it's not done properly the, the big potential problem that we've seen uh that was highlighted from preston in priest hall is it actually induced seismicity it didn't create seismicity but it helped seismicity happen before that, that means an earthquake would. does it it does there, there was a you know minor earth tremors they, i wouldn't say they were earthquakes because most people associate earthquakes with with damage and there was no damage so Bucks is going to go fracking, is it? Wait, hold on for just a moment. There's an area to the south of, uh, of Bucks that's been identified in a government document um, some time ago as an area where there could be something. They, they call it unconventional gas. Um, now, that's sort of very much in the south, Wickham and Marlow. Next year, that's going to be optioned. Uh, a licence will become available. And that's why, really, Buckinghamshire County Council has taken this step to start looking at a policy. At the moment, every council has a uh, mineral and waste strategy. It's not usually particularly interesting, if I'm honest. It talks about the very much the understand, you know, the underground elements of the uh, earth and what can be used. Well, you know, lots of, lots of it's about gravel and sand and so on. I've learned quite a lot about the gravel and sand structure of Buckinghamshire in the last 48 hours and let me tell you it's not that exciting however let's go out for a coffee later and discuss really no um what, what the british geological survey has said is that there is limited oil and gas potential but that's more conventional oil and gas potential if you like there were back in the 60s some wells in twyford uh, there were also some um you know some uh, gas uh, exploration there too what this um policy i suppose that bucks county council is beginning to formulate is just to really make sure it's covered if indeed there are any applications for uh, this sort of exploration technology at the moment we're very much a long way away mm. from any potential fracking if that was indeed to happen but what they need to know first of all is what they would do if if a company did come to them and say we would like to try and buy this area mm. and, um, and and explore it well joined now by janet blake who is bucks county council's cabinet member for planning and transport uh, janet early stages why have you started looking into this good morning well we're being prudent here I mean, first off, let me say right away that we haven't been approached by any developers whatsoever with a view to oil or gas prospecting. So I don't want residents getting the, 
the um, worries that um, exploration derricks are going to be moving in. Let, let's just get that out of the way. We haven't been approached whatsoever. And although Bucks has been included in the 14th round of onshore licensing, um, it's very, very unlikely that it's um, a, a prospect for economically viable uh, yields of shale gas. But we need to be prudent and we need to have a plan in place um, just in case. So, you know, it, it's something that any responsible council would do. And uh, Bucks County Council is at the forefront of this. Let's assume that, that, that there is, it, it would be, uh, make economic sense to, to go uh, drilling for shale. What would be the benefits for Bucks County Council and the residents? Well, again, it's, it's very early days, and I wouldn't even like to, uh, to have any, uh, any punt at, at trying to answer that yet. Our Environmental Select Committee are, are going to be researching the subject thoroughly, and they'll report back to us uh, their findings in the new year. So until we have all of the information to hand, <coughs> I think anything uh, we say at the moment is, is just conjecture. I would much sooner wait until we have um, all salient and relevant information at our fingertips. But I'm ass- th- 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 there must be some potential benefits, otherwise you wouldn't look into it. I'm assuming it's financial. Well, one, one assumes that there could possibly be financial benefits, but no, that isn't the reason why we're looking into it. We're looking into it, um, as was said, I think, by your previous speaker, uh, that Buckinghamshire has been identified um, in the British Geological Survey, but... Uh, again, as a very, very small uh, area. So we're just being prudent and shoring up something that's already been identified by an outside body. If um, it was found that, yes, Bucks was an ideal place, so let's, let's go fracking, uh, but all of the residents protested, would you listen to the residents? Well, uh, a responsible county council always listens to its residents. But again, we're getting too far ahead of the game and I won't be pushed into comment on something that we don't know enough about to to give a responsible uh, repost to at the moment janet blake if uh, we'll, we'll leave it there then if you don't particularly want to uh, look to the future the janet blake there bucks county council's cabinet member for planning and trust was saying if it happens long way off it is and, and long way off let's let's just put some minds at rest and janet's absolutely right because yes. you know as until there is somebody who buys this license next year there's we're a long way off from even the exploratory stages yep. and actually that's what's happened down at Balcom in sussex it was just the exploratory phases uh they weren't actually fracking down there so all of that protest was about they don't know whether or not it's even suitable for fracking down there they don't know until they test it and this is what dr chris green was saying earlier on if you don't know no, you can't tell, but there is the potential under the UK, perhaps not in Buckinghamshire, but perhaps to a small degree, um, that there could be this technology available. It could mean that we have very cheap gas and e- electricity in the future. Paul Scoins, thank you very much. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, Syria, should we get involved? JVS was talking about this a couple of days ago. We seem to be moving ever closer to uh, Britain going, actually, yep, we're going we're gonna to have a go at this. We're going to get involved. Stephen's in Bedfordshire. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Should Britain get involved? Uh, I think we have to. Why? In some way, in some way how can we, as a civilised country, stand by and let more poor, innocent children get killed? I just don't know. These people say don't get involved. 
we've got to get involved. If it saves a few children's lives, then it's got to be worth it. There are children dying all over the world, though, Stephen. We don't get involved yeah, in every... Not, unnec- not unnecessarily, like, the way he's doing it to them. Uh, well, yeah, there, are, I mean, there, are children, be... there are children dying of malaria, children dying of starvation, children dying in other war zones that we, we don't get involved with. But we are, we are getting involved in all the malaria and all the other war zones. In, in but we're not, we're not doing anywhere near enough. We could, we could go and wipe out malaria but pretty, pretty darn easily. But we're, no. we're not... We're not do- well, by going out there and, and um, giving the medicine for free to everybody that needs it. But we, we do try that, don't we, to do... to wipe out the malaria. Anyway, in this serious business, I mean, I don't understand it all anyway, but, I mean, hopefully we won't get involved in an, in an armed way. Hopefully the, the threat of us going in there, of us and the Americas and everybody else, will be enough to, uh, to stop it and then to either give himself up, hand himself over give all the um, chemicals away or whatever we just need give to give them something. away the thing is he won't yeah, though will he he won't i mean the G- gaddafi kind of didn't give himself up or give himself away uh, hussein didn't give himself up or give himself away these people tend not to do they yeah, but we need to do something to hope we'll give him the chance to do it and if he doesn't then yeah bomb his his, his chemical factories bomb him and, and that woman was saying that about um oh Chernobyl. I can't understand what the, uh, what the connection was. Very quickly, Stephen, because we're, we're running out of time. If, if, if we bomb uh, Syria, there is a strong chance, as we did in Iraq and as we did in Afghanistan, that we will kill children as well within our bombings. We can't be as specific as we'd like to be. Is that acceptable? Just bomb the factories, I should say, yes. And even, though, even if there is a chance, he's moving a lot of the weapons bases into... Um, uh, or near towns and near, uh, where people are living, so there is a chance we could kill innocent people. Well, then send in the troops to go. We, we've got specialist troops, and the Americans have, and people have the specialist troops that can go in there and destroy it without killing innocent people. Stephen, uh, thank you very much. I think it's a slightly naive attitude towards uh, towards war, but I uh, yes, I appreciate what you're saying. Well, after nine o'clock, JVS will be asking, have you changed your mind on our involvement in Syria? This is BBC Three Counties Radio, 8.16. Let's get the travel with Bill Sheldrake. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. And heavy unusual for the A413 in Weedon because of the Bucks County Show. If you're on your way towards that, do expect some heavy traffic. At Theobald Street in Boreham Woods, that's been closed off for the Burst Water Main. You're being diverted via Organ Hall Road. Apart from that, it's a usual uh, early morning ready for the M25, slowing down particularly anti clockwise. Chorley Woods at junction 18 to the M40 and junction 16. Uh, looking at the light departures boards for the trains, it's still looking absolutely fine. Bill Sheldrake, BBC Three Counties Radio. Bill, thank you very much. It's 8.16, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A number of sites in Buckinghamshire are being considered for the controversial practice of oil and gas exploration known as fracking. MPs returned to Westminster this morning to vote on the principle of British military intervention in Syria. In sport, Watford are through to the third round of the Capital One Cup for the first time since 2008 after beating Bournemouth 2-0 at Vicarage Road. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks dry with some sunny spells and a top temperature of 23 degrees. Coming up, before 8.30, we'll get the latest on the rather poor situation at Bedford Hospital from the acting chief executive. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio.
Chet and Partook on BBC Three Counties Radio. This Sunday, tens of thousands of people are expected at Bhaktivedanta Manor near Watford to celebrate Janmashtami. It's the largest Hindu festival in Europe and this year's event is bigger than ever because it's exactly 40 years since Beatle George Harrison bought the Hare Krishnas their home in the Hertfordshire countryside. Chet and Partook. I'll be broadcasting live from the manor, learning what the festival means and sharing the colour and excitement across the three counties to join me this Sunday night from 6 for Janmashtami at Bhaktivedanta Manor. Chet and Partick on BBC Three Counties Radio. Little bit of the old tabla. Do you, do you like the tabla? Yes, very much so. Do you know what a tabla is? It's one of those bongos. What's on your show today, JVS? Uh, coming up on the big phone in this morning, have you changed your mind on our involvement in Syria? As you were saying earlier, we discussed Syria on my show on Tuesday and lots and lots of people phoned in. And you know what? It was completely and utterly unanimous. Every single person who called me the other day said we should not get involved, we should stay well away from it. Well, the government has dropped plans for a speedy intervention in the crisis as the Labour Party have threatened to withdraw their support for military action. The UK has presented the UN with a draft resolution authorising necessary measures to protect Syrian civilians. Well, we've had a few days now to digest all of this, haven't we? And it would appear that there is now this kind of move to slow everything down and mm. perhaps not to race into into bombing uh, certain parts of Syria. And I wonder whether people have changed their mind, having seen some of the footage that's coming out of the country, having had time to digest all of this. Are people changing their mind now? Do we think that we need to get involved? Because if we don't get involved, who is? No one else is going to try and help, are they? I mean, that's the reality. Yep. They talk about the UN getting involved. The UN are not going to get involved because of Russia and China. So unless we help with America, then ultimately we just have to leave the, the Syrians to get on with it. Well, is that what everyone still wants? From nine, we'll discuss it. We've had. I was expecting it to be blankets. No, no, no. But we've had a couple of voices this I morning saying, "Yes, no. Of course, we should get involved." And and that's the other thing that w- makes me wonder whether people are changing their mind on this. I wonder whether you know. To start with, it was kind of so easy, wasn't it? Just to say, "Oh no, I remember Iraq. No, no, no. It's a bad thing. No, we shouldn't do it." But now we've realised that unless we do do something, then we've really got to just sit there and watch. And, and what is he going to do next? I mean, if if Assad is indeed gassing his own people if he's using these chemical weapons on his own people and he's already done it once where's it going to end Mm. what's he going to start doing next week or the week after so is it down to us to get involved to try and help or should we just you know keep well away because we remember what happened in iraq and in afghanistan and actually will it make things any better or will it make it worse we'll discuss it from nine Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Not been a particularly good uh, year for Bedford Hospital, has it? It's about to get a whole lot worse. Many children's services have already been transferred to other hospitals, including the department's overnight care and accident and emergency. Well, now a health watchdog has said it has major concerns, not just over paediatrics, but also the quality of care provided on one elderly ward, as well as consultant staffing levels in A&E and the stroke unit. Well, the acting chief executive of Bedford Hospital, Stephen Conroy, joins me now. It's a shambles, isn't it, Stephen? Uh, no, it's, it's not a shambles again. It, it, it's obviously very serious, uh, and we, we welcome external reviews of our services so, so that we can make sure that we provide 
uh, good services for the patients. The quality of care provided on one elderly ward uh, is uh, being questioned, as well as consultant staffing levels in A&E and the stroke unit. That's not a shambles. It's, it's not a shambles. I mean, I, I am very concerned uh, about some of the findings, and particularly uh, the quality of care that was pointed out on the frail elderly ward. I mean, our, our staff provide a very good service, and they're very committed to patients. Well, it turns out they don't. Well, it, it's completely unacceptable if we fail patients. I mean, we're, we're very good at providing services for most people most of the time, and the, the CQC report says uh, we're inconsistent, and we need to address that consistency. Uh, but from my point of view, it's unacceptable if we fail one person. If one well, you're failing, you're failing more than one person. You're failing whole wards, whole sections of the hospital. You can't look after kids. You can't look after old people. You can't look after people with strokes, and you're struggling with A&E. What, what can you do at your hospital? No, that, that's that's, that's uh, misrepresenting the hospital, really. I mean, it, Bedford Hospital's been around a long time. It's provided good, consistent services for a long time. But it's not now, is it? No, there, there, are, there are concerns, and I, I, I do uh, apologise for anyone who had a poor uh, experience of care. So on the Fred Elderly Ward you, you mentioned, I was particularly concerned about the comments made by the CQC about the quality of the nursing care. Uh, we... we had an action plan in place before the CQC came in because we, we'd uh, had highlights uh, in our quality reports that there were issues on this ward uh, and since the CQC report took place at the beginning of June uh, we've completely reorganised the ward So hang on, you, you, knew, you knew before sorry to interrupt, you knew before the CQC that the, uh, the, this particular ward with elderly people was, was wrong so you implemented changes and yet the CQC came in after those changes and still said this is really bad well, they, they came in during the change programme. So, you, I mean, you can't change things overnight. Um, we, we had a, a programme that was running over, over a few weeks. Uh, it started in June. By the time the CQC came in, we hadn't completed that programme. Um, but we, we completed it in July. Uh, we're now confident that ward runs effectively. and We're inviting uh, Health Watch, uh, the local health watchdog, uh, to come into the ward and look around it because we're, we're very confident now we've uh, improved it. But I do apologise for any poor experience that individuals what patients the, would have received previously. What were the problems with the quality of care in this elderly ward? What was what was not being done? Well, there are a couple of things that the CQC mentioned. Uh, we weren't providing enough support to support patients at feeding uh, at meal times. So people weren't feeding. eating. Some people weren't, weren't eating and weren't right. being supported, uh, or they were eating, but they, they weren't being uh, cleaned up properly afterwards, so food was left on the side or, or food down their pyjamas that hadn't been sorted so out. People weren't, some people weren't eating, and those that were eating, they were sleeping in dirty beds because the food had got on the bed or on their pyjamas. There were certainly a couple of cases uh, where how, that, that was How would anybody working in a hospital, how would anybody think that that was acceptable? How, did, it, how was that allowed to happen? It's completely unacceptable. But how is it allowed uh, to happen then, Stephen? It, it should never happen because... But it did, so how did it happen? Um, we've looked at the, the, that ward in detail. We found uh, that there were, the leadership of, on the ward uh, wasn't right. So we have three elderly care wards. The CQC went into two of them. One they thought was running very, very well. Uh, this particular ward wasn't. Um, if the nurses aren't organised properly, uh, if meal times aren't given priority on the ward, um, those sort of things can happen. And I say we, we, we have resolved that now. There are other issues, um, you know, to be completely transparent. Um, you know, some patients have problems with potential pressure sores. Uh, we have special mattresses. There was one case for one patient where a mattress wasn't ordered for two days. Uh, even though the nurse assessment said that they should get a mattress.
again, we've addressed that to make sure that now nurses, all nurses understand the protocol for ordering those mattresses because uh, they can be delivered on the same day. Uh, and it, it shouldn't happen. Uh, it just shouldn't happen. Now, we haven't seen the report. We're going to get it as soon as we can. Is there anything else, Stephen, you want to tell us before we get the report? Um, well, the other issues you mentioned, staffing issues, supporting workers. I mean, that the report followed on from the uh, issues raised by the Dean about paediatrics and those changes. So the CQC report uh, does include uh, all the evidence given by the Dean. So it, it, you know, it necessarily finds problems about supporting workers uh, in paediatrics. Uh, and about some of the staffing levels and the consultants. But they have also uh, highlighted that we might have concerns in A&E uh, and in stroke with our consultant support that could lead to issues of supervision uh, of trainees. Um, so those themes that they found in paediatrics, they're saying, could be running in other places. Hang on a second. So the, the, the reason, the, 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 the problems that caused paediatrics to be closed down and, and uh, shunted off elsewhere, those problems are happening in the stroke unit and in A&E? Well, the CQC say they could potentially happen there. Um, and that, that, that's the words in, in the report. Um, so in A&E, we are one consultant short, um, but we provide consultant cover seven days a week in the hospital, which is uh, more than some hospitals do. When are you going to get that um, extra consultant? Uh, well, we have plans to bring them in, but there's a national shortage of consultants. Uh, it may be that we have to, to internally develop one of our senior doctors uh, and bring them in. But just to give you some assurance, uh, our, our consultants are very experienced that they uh, are in every day and they provide 24-7 on call. And we have a full uh, consulting staff uh, at the senior doctor level, which is the, you know, the, the doctors that see most of the patients. So uh, compared to other places, A&E performs very well. Uh, patient surveys say that A&E is, is well liked. So I, I don't, uh, the consultant, lead consultant I spoke to yesterday uh, doesn't believe that there are any uh, serious issues in A&E uh, in the short term. However, as with paediatrics, unless we get a full complement of A&E consultants in place uh, in the next few months, then there is a risk. Stephen, is it still uh, difficult to, to, to bring doctors in to the Bedford Hospital? Because they, they didn't want to come back, did they? Uh, we, we've got a very good complement of doctors uh, generally. There are one or two areas uh, you know, where we've had problems recruiting, paediatrics being one of those. A&E uh, and strokes? And A&E. And stroke, not so. Stroke we have had consultants in, but we just had some movement. Uh, the consultants, uh, two of them left uh, in fairly close proximity to each other. We've, we've got a you know, full team in place at the moment and we've got um, one full-time new doctor starting in October and the other one's been interviewed in a couple of weeks' time. So we're confident of having a, a full team back in are, place. Are people's soon. lives and health at risk because of these shortfalls? Well, that's the question that obviously I immediately asked the consultants and the nurses um, and their view is, is not. Um, so there's a difference between having a safe service and having a service that you'd expect your, you know, your mother or your loved one to experience in the hospital. So I'd be very upset if my mum was in hospital for two days with bed sores and wasn't getting the right treatment. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so that, that would cause harm. If we didn't um, manage patients properly around bed sores, that would be causing harm to patients. Um, now, our you know, history of 
improving uh, pressure sores is, is good. You know, the, the incidence of pressure sores and the serious ones is bed sore, Bed sores can become very, very serious. It's not just being so uncomfortable in bed. It's, 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 it's very serious. We have a zero to- tolerance. It should not happen. Um, you know, there are cases when it does happen or people come into hospital with bed sores, um, but we have a zero tolerance of it. Every serious bed sore is reported as a serious but, incident and investigated. But with the greatest respect, the, the, your zero tolerance policy didn't work. If that person was in bed with, with bed sores, pressure sores for two days, your zero tolerance was, it doesn't mean anything. Okay, well, in the CQC report, they said we didn't order the, mat- the mattress quick enough. Um, it didn't mean that the patient got pressure sores. They just, you know, they, you know, they could have got pressure sores if... It, but why, I mean, why was a special mattress being ordered if they didn't already have pressure sores? The, the assessment said that the pressure mattress should be ordered immediately. Um, for but it was For some wasn't. reason, the nurse on the ward... Uh, didn't put the request in. When the request did go in, the mattress came very Can quickly. you guarantee that will never happen again? Uh, that, that's, we have a zero to- tolerance. Well, uh, you, I know you've said that, but that, that, that's failed in the past. So can you guarantee that that will never happen again? It, it's impossible to guarantee anything never happens ever. Um, but, we, you know, we, as I said, we have good processes in place. We can get all the pressure equipment very quickly. The, the number of pressure sores and the severity of pressure sores is improving in the hospital and we compare well with other places. If there are similarities so between... Sorry, sorry to just a couple of questions I want to get in. If, if there are similarities in, in uh, what happened in paediatrics and what's happening in A&E, there might be some people wondering, is A&E going to stay open? Absolutely, yeah. You've got no, no, pl- no, you've got no plans no to close it? Not at all, no, absolutely not. And when, when is paediatrics, are we still looking towards March to have uh, those services resumed? Um, well, two things. Uh, first of all, um, I believe that we can provide some more services here before March, um, and we're certainly going to put a proposal to uh, the commissioners uh, and to the dean um, and to all, all the people who've been involved in this about bringing some services back uh, before the winter starts, because things will get busy in the winter, and we think we can provide more services uh, now. But we've already agreed with the uh, the GP commissioners that the, you know, the, the long-term service configuration of, of, of children's service on this site uh, will be subject to a public consultation, uh, and that consultation should, should be starting by the uh, beginning of October. It's not run by the hospital, that's run by the GPs. Will you be providing all the services that you have provided by March? Well, I, until that consultation's over, I can't say that. But because we'll, you did, when you came on, I think you did imply that that was the plan. But certainly the hospital would, would, be, uh, would like to be providing all those services again. Um, the caveat I've, I've put forward is that we have to be able to recruit enough doctors to provide those services safely, and we want to provide those services in, in a modern and most effective way. Stephen, final, final question. I do appreciate um, you giving us your time this morning. You are the acting chief executive of Bedford Hospital. Can you honestly say you know what's going on in your hospital? Um, we do know what's going on. Um, you know, I, I meet with the doctors and the nurses on, on a regular basis. I walk the wards and talk to patients, as do all of our board members. Um, and, and I think we've got a very good idea of, of what's going on. We, but there's lots of information you can look at. Um, when the CQC come in and spend four days with us, when they find problems, we take those absolutely seriously. When are they coming um, back? They will. I'm sure they've given us... Um, some deadlines to, to complete actions by the end of October, and I'm sure they'll be back before the end of October to see what we've achieved. Brilliant. Stephen, we have to end it there. Thank you very much for your time. I do appreciate that. Acting Chief Executive of Bedford Hospital, Stephen Conroy.
8.33, not been a great year so far, has it, for Bedford Hospital? Let's hope things improve. Right, a little bit late, let's get the travel news now. Here's Bill. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Two reporters is really this morning. Weedon, heavy than usual for the A413 if you're heading to the Bucks County Show. And in Boreham Wood, you've got Theobald Street close off with a burst of water main. You're being diverted via Organ Hall Road. Bill Sheldrake, BBC Three Counties Radio. Bill, thank you very much. It's 8.34 or thereabouts. Let's see if she's waited for us. I hope she has. Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines, the health regulator, the Care Quality Commission, says it has major concerns about the quality of elderly stroke and accident and emergency care at Bedford Hospital. A number of sites in Buckinghamshire are being considered for the controversial practice of oil and gas exploration known as fracking. And MPs returned to Westminster this morning to vote on the principle of British military intervention in Syria. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Watford are through to the third round of the Capital One Cup for the first time since 2008 after beating Bournemouth 2-0 at home last night. An own goal from Elliot Ward gave Watford the lead in the first half and Christian Batokio sealed the victory in the closing stages. The Hornets will play Norwich at home in the third round. Here's a very happy boss, Gianfranco Zola. They got what they deserved against a team that uh, tried to play and, uh, you know, if probably wasn't for our goalkeeper maybe they would have been they would have been it would have been a different result Stevenage are out of the League Cup after losing 2-1 to Premier League side Everton last night. The Toffees scored the winner in extra time with just five minutes to go. Stevenage's goal came courtesy of Luke Freeman. Uh, I think there was times where they did have the majority of chances, but at the same time, I think when you have these games, you have got to ride your luck, you know. Um, but nevertheless, we work very hard as a team and as a unit for someone, for a team that hasn't really been with each other for long. We, we gel very well tonight. In tennis, Andy Murray and Laura Robson both won their matches at the US Open last night. Robson will face Li Na of China China in round three after a straight sets win over Caroline Garcia of France. Murray beat Michael Lodra in straight sets in a match that was delayed by the weather and didn't start until 10 o'clock local time, one of the last first round matches to be completed. We just got asked after the draw was done if we would rather play on Tuesday or Wednesday and we asked to play on Tuesday and then we were put Wednesday, which was fine, but yesterday afternoon it changed again from Wednesday during the day to Wednesday at night, and I don't know if that's ever happened before here where a first-round match has been played at 10 o'clock on, on the third day. That's your latest news and sport. More from me at 9 o'clock. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, here every weekday until nine o'clock. And uh, don't forget, of course, you can uh, download the podcast. Either go to the BBC podcast page or go to iTunes and type in my name. And uh, every week we kind of bring out a 45, 50 minute best of. Now, should Britain get involved in Syria? MPs return to the Commons today for a debate on the Syrian crisis. They will not vote on whether the UK should take military action. Instead, they'll decide on the principle of such a response. But whatever conclusion is met, it seems the British public is against the UK becoming involved. A recent survey shows that nearly three quarters of us oppose deploying troops uh, in Syria. And certainly that's the majority view from you this morning, although we've had a couple of people saying we should get involved. 
Joined now by Dr Phyllis Starkey, former MP for Milton Keynes and former member of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee with a keen interest in the Middle East. And also Kelvin Hopkins, the Labour MP for Luton North. Good morning to both of you. Morning. Kelvin, let's start with you. How will you be voting today? Well, I was uh, intending to vote against intervention in Syria and uh, anything that implies intervention I shall probably vote against. Why? Um, I think the, the possibility of a wider conflagration in the Middle East is too dangerous to risk and uh, once one starts in, into, into uh, this kind of conflict one, one inevitably sees mission creep I think if it doesn't work first time more troops more, more troops on the ground possibly but certainly more more air attacks are likely and it will just get worse with major major countries like Iran and indeed Russia uh, on taking taking the side of the the the, uh, the the Syrian government, um, you know, the, the possibilities are, I think, extremely dangerous, and is unwise to get unwise of, of us to to uh, to involve ourselves. If we, even though we haven't got the evidence yet, let's assume for the moment that Assad has used chemical weapons on his own people. He has broken the 1993 agreement on the use of chemical weapons. He's broken international law. Don't we have to do something to to reprimand him for that? Well, we've we've got to find out what actually happened yep, they, of are, they are vehemently denying that they've done it now you know governments don't tell the truth always of course but they are they are denying absolutely it may have been you know a rogue mili- military man who knows what, what, what has happened but we've got to wait for the inspectors to report before we decide to do anything assuming but, but, they do come back and say yes we have 100 percent proof he definitely do it would did it we, would you change we, your opinion we, then? We, we've got to i think think of the possibilities of uh increasing the 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 likelihood of war a wider war spilling out beyond syria i think in in the middle east it's it's an appalling thing that's happened it's an appalling civil war with dreadful violence on both sides i think um but if we we took action which made the situation worse rather than better that would not be sensible dr phyllis starkey what, what do you think well, I, I think the discussion you've had and, and what's been happening o- overnight um, prior to this debate demonstrates how incredibly complex this situation is. The war in Syria has already spilled over into the rest of the region. It's destabilizing Lebanon. The huge flows of, of refugees are destabilizing Jordan and, and Iraq and, um, and Turkey. And there is already regional involvement. I mean, Russia, Iran, the Saudi Arabians and Qatar are all and Turkey, for that matter, all supplying arms to different parties um, within the Syrian civil war. So um, there are huge problems with action, but there are also huge problems with inaction. And I I think it's going to be very difficult for uh, members of parliament to really take... um, come to a decision and they will take a different view. Um, I do think it's very important that there is this debate today in Parliament because part of the problem is that it's not clear precisely what the government's own analysis of the situation is, what precise actions they were contemplating and whether what assessment they'd made of, of the consequences of those actions. And with all those uncertainties i think it's very difficult for members of parliament to take a decision but i mean as you've said there is the problem that if there is no uh, if there are no sanctions taken at all then there is a real risk that the regime um, might use chemical weapons again there's um, lots of people uh, phyllis that, that have been comparing this situation to the run-up to the iraq war is is, is that a fair comparison Well, there are similarities in the sense that one has to take a decision in real time. You can't wait till after the event to to find out whether you were right or not. 
and that it depends upon um, intelligence. However, the difference is that in the run-up to the um, Iraq decision, um, the debate was whether um, Saddam Hussein had WMD or not. Um, the debate here is not about whether a chemical attack has occurred, really. Um, it, there is a, a lack of clear evidence, uh, whether it was the government or some other party that, that um, used the weapons, but all the um, uh, evidence suggests that it's much more likely to have been the government um, and we know that the Syrian government has chemical and biological weapons and we know from their past actions that they don't have much compunction about using weapons against their own population if they believe that is necessary to safeguard the regime. Was David Cameron right, Phyllis, to, to slow things down a little bit, to, to wait for the uh, UN inspectors report? Well, he's been forced into it by the fact that he would not have won a vote in Parliament today. Um, he was not even supported by enough of his own party, uh, let alone uh, Liberal Democrat and Labour MPs. So he, he's taken the right decision, but he didn't really have any other choice. And he would have been wiser, I think, not to have um, uh, run so far ahead of, um, the, of parliamentary opinion in his original announcements. Kelvin, don't we have a responsibility to, uh, to uh, you know, we're hearing reports that maybe 100,000 people have died, over a million people displaced. Don't we have a responsibility, a moral responsibility to help these people? Well, I think we have a moral responsibility to do everything possible to, to, to stop further deaths, to stop further violence in, in any way we can. But we have to make sure we take the, the action that will, will achieve that. Um, if intervention... Uh, was going to stop the violence and it, it, you know, we would see no more chemical weapons or whatever, um, that might be a, a case to be argued. But the possibilities of actually making the violence worse and making, uh, spreading the conflict wider, I think are too grave to, to, to risk. And um, I, I, uh, you know, I'm fearful about that. I think the point I'd make is, is that, that every month that the conflict continues, the more difficult it's going to be to stop it spreading further in the region and the more difficult it's going to be to reconstruct Syria when the conflict finally blows out and exhausts itself. There will be some people listening to this, Phyllis, who say, I don't care, I don't care about the reconstruction of Syria. It's got nothing to do with me. Why should I be bothered? Um, Because um, a a growth of failed states, and Syria is kind of on the way to becoming a failed state in the sense that the government doesn't control its whole territory and all sorts of groups, armed groups, are, are coming in um, as, as, as time goes on, that that is a threat to the stability of the whole region of the Middle East. And at the very least, the flows of refugees from other countries will then start. And very shortly, um, the, the region cannot cope with the number of refugees that there are in Jordan, Turkey, uh, and Lebanon and Iraq. And there are already discussions about how um, countries in Europe and in the wider world are going to have to take a share of the refugees from the region. So the consequences will ripple out uh, and will affect us directly, and it, it will affect um, uh, our supply, the, um, the parts of our economy that depend on um, imports and exports to the Middle East. So in the end, we will, all, we will be affected, and we already are being affected, but there is also the moral issue about chemical weapons. There is a Chemical and Biological Weapons Convention. It is an, uh, agreed that the use of those weapons is, um, 
is a war crime and it would appear that a war crime has occurred. Phyllis, you just stop you there because we're running out of time. I want to ask the final question to Kelvin. Kelvin, which way do you think the vote will go today? Well, I think uh, the government will probably um, effectively accept what was going, what was the, the, the Labour amendment and their, their motion is obviously um, now not going to call for intervention at this stage. Uh, so I, I imagine that they pray, probably will win that vote in principle, but the decision about whether or not to uh, to uh, to uh, launch some kind of attack on Syria, I think that will be deferred. Um, I still have concerns about even the motions down today. OK, thank you very much. No doubt we'll talk about this later on in the week. That's Kelvin Hopkins, Labour MP for Luton North. And the other voice was Dr Phyllis Starkey, former MP for Milton Keynes and former member of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee. 08459 455 555. Should Britain get involved in Syria? Coming up to 8.46, BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the travel news now with Bill Sheldrake. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. News just in for High Wycombe, uh, one lane blocked on Marlow Hill. It's just by the High Wycombe Handicross roundabout. Just getting more details on that one for you. Heavier than usual this morning on the A413 in Weedon, all because of uh, the Bucks County show. Uh, so uh, it's looking pretty busy now between Ellsbury and Whitchurch. The show, by the way, takes place until 6 o'clock uh, today. It's already open. And Boreham Woods, you've got the Birds Water Main, which is closing off Theobald Street. And the diversion takes you via Organ Hall Road. Bill Sheldrake, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Bill. 8.46, Thursday the 29th of August. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Health watchdogs at the Care Quality Commission have highlighted major concerns about the quality of elderly, stroke and accident and emergency care at Bedford Hospital. A number of sites in Buckinghamshire are being considered for the controversial practice of oil and gas exploration known as fracking. In sport, Stevenage were knocked out of the League Cup after losing 2-1 to Everton in extra time. Coming up, bees. Ever been stung by a bee and a wasp on the same day? And how do bees make honey? How do they do it? I don't know! We'll speak to our bee correspondent Justin Dealey in a bit, but before that, let's get the weather with Elizabeth Rizzini. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, very good morning to you again. Lots of sunny spells around. It's a truly beautiful day once more across the three counties. We're going to see top temperatures today of 23 or 24 degrees Celsius, 75 in Fahrenheit with some fair weather cloud here and there through the afternoon and just a light breeze. As we head through into this evening and overnight, it'll turn a bit breezier actually and that will put pay to any mist patches by tomorrow morning. Um, cloudy again, uh, the low cloud reforming into tomorrow morning. Uh, it should stay dry though and again, tomorrow is looking dry too lots of brightness around a bit more in the way of cloud but some sunny spells here and there and certainly still warm top temperatures tomorrow 23 24 degrees celsius by the time we get to the weekend though it's going to be feeling a bit cooler top temperatures at the weekend 18 or 19 degrees celsius only so we're losing a good few degrees a northwesterly breeze but it will still be dry and sunny that's the forecast Every weekday morning from nine, the JVS Show. You just can't carry on with life. It, I mean, it's just awful. With the biggest opinions. It's about time somebody or organisation stood up and basically snort the coffee. Well, yeah, it depends on the individual, actually. Let's pollute the planet even more. We should pollute it so much, your Pinot Gris show goes rotten. And the biggest local talking points. What we really need to do is for everyone in, in the country to reduce their energy consumption, not increase it. The JVS Show, weekdays from nine. 
Nine, BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. We'll get on to the uh, thorny subject of bees shortly, but before that, should we get involved in Syria? Akbar's in Luton. Good morning, Akbar. Well, good morning, Ian. What do you think? Well, we should uh, um, not go to war um, uh, with Americans uh, over uh, in Syria because uh, we have no reason to. Um, that country is no threat to our citizens in any shape or form. And uh, an international law may have been broken? Uh, there is no clear evidence, uh, Ian, that the international law has been broken. There, there, there's a, 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 another side of the story that uh, um, some countries from some Western interest, uh, interests have, uh, have done what they have done. But, uh, hang on, hang on. Are you, to... wait, 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 sorry, are you suggesting that the, the, the West has launched this chemical attack? In Syria. Um, there, there, there are reports in the press uh, that uh, that uh, agents from um, Britain, America, and uh, and and French have done it to destabilise the government. Where, where are these, Akbar? Where are these reports that Britain, America, and France were responsible I, I, for the chemical I, attack? I, I heard them yesterday. Where did yes, you hear them I from? I heard them from some some reliable sources. What 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 reliable sources? Well, my contacts and I have. Uh, uh, good ah. contacts uh, with, the, with, the, with the press and the media. Okay, now without giving away too much, because I wouldn't want you no. to reveal your sources. But, 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 but you say you have contacts. Are these spies or are these uh, the, are, are these press uh, these people? Are, these, are, these are knowledgeable people like yourself, Ian. Right. Well, listen. If I, if I told you anything like that, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trust it in the slightest. <laughs> yeah, but you can't seriously think that that the English or French spies did the chemical attack. Well, I can. Uh, did it, Come on. Did it's it, a con- that's a conspiracy theory. Well, it might. Uh, it, it it might be. But at the uh, at the same time, we need to have clear evidence. We do need to have evidence. But I'm moving on just because I want to get to as many voices on this as I can. But thank you very much. John's in Luton. Morning, John. Morning, Ian. Should we get involved? Uh, well, let me just put you in the picture. I'm 70 years old. I've been a me- I've, since I've been able to vote. I've never ever failed to vote at an election, and I've always voted Conservative. I'm a member of the paid-up member of the party. Years ago, I served on many of their committees. Now, I've been very unhappy about their foreign policy, especially foreign aid, for years. Yes. Now. This business... Sh- should we get involved in Syria? Well, I don't believe we should, but um, Jonathan said earlier, who would if we don't? Yes. We're always putting ourselves forward first. It don't matter what it is, we're always first. But doesn't that now, mean we, we, we are morally correct? We have a moral well, responsibility. Well, I mean, we're not morally responsible for the whole world. Now, OK, well, John, I'm sorry to cut you short. I, I guess we have to squeeze a lot in before nine o'clock. If you um, maybe give Jonathan a, a, a call after nine and you can have a chat with him and, and finish making your point. Sorry to keep it so brief. We've just got to cram a lot in. 08459 455 555. Uh, There's a warning this morning that Britain is facing a wasp epidemic. The Bees, Wasps and Ant Recording Society. It's a real organisation! Says the harsh winter has meant there are more of them because they stayed in hibernation for a bit longer. Well, Justin Dealey has been out and about this morning. Good morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. The the reason I'm so excited by bees, my little boy on holiday said, Dada, honey comes from bees. Yes. (laughs) How do they make it? Well, what they do is they (laughs) get the pollen 
Yeah, carry and on. That, and I had no idea how honey was made. It's a tricky question. It's, it's, it's something yes. we think we all know, but we haven't got a clue. Absolutely. You've been asking people this, haven't you? Yes, I've been out the streets of Luton um, asking people where honey comes from. You know, the obvious answer. But then, of course, the big question, how is it made? <laughs> the big <laughs> question. Some, some fascinating <laughs> answers. Just take a listen to this. I, th- I think you might enjoy this. Thomas, where does honey come from? It's actually the spit from bumblebees. Yes. How do you know that? I've got a friend who's, uh, what do they call them? The bee expert? That's it, a bee expert, yeah. The bees. How do they make it? Well, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> In the honeycomb, I presume. Where, where does honey come from? It's a Park. Comes from Sundon Park? Yeah. A bee. How do they make it? I think it's already been made, isn't it? There's actually much to it, really, you know what I mean? I think it's already been made. It's already been made? Yeah, that means it's, that means it's already been, like, um, it's already sweet, you know, I don't think there's nothing you've got to do to it. Where does honey come from? Honey. Honey, yeah. Oh, from bees, yes. But how do they make it, though? Oh, just a bit. I think, well, it has to have a satin comb, and then when, oh, squeeze it, the honey out, or something like that. So the bees start squeezing each other? No, 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 no. The bees has to lay his nest for somebody could take it out from it. I actually doesn't know how, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to go now. <laughs> yes. All right. Quite enjoying the conversation. Is it? <laughs> I've got to go now. Are you sorry. sure? Yes, yes. Sorry. One, one more question? Yes, well... I've forgotten, sorry. Mm. <laughs> oh, Justin, thank you. You're on fire this week, Justin Daly. Thank you so much. Well, people don't know how honey is made. They squeeze it. Robert Dartington is from Buzzworks Association in Hitchin, a community project to help people enjoy the world of bees and the craft of beekeeping. Robin, how do bees make honey? <laughs> well, people, It's one of those things people think, oh, yeah, I know. Oh, actually, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> yeah, there's um, obviously some way to go before the public uh, understands bees. And they honey. don't squeeze each other, do they? No, they don't. They don't. <laughs> I, I think that was just your 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 <coughs> uh, your investigator squeezing the women on the street. Yeah, well, quite possibly. No, um, Justin. Yes. How do they make it? Well, they collect nectar from flowers. Flowers produce nectar in order to attract bees, and nectar is a watery substance. It's got eighty percent water, and it's rather like a fruit juice. Um, but it's got sugars in it. So the bees suck that up and take that home to the hive. Now, to turn it into honey, they have to get rid of the water because the watery, um, the, the watery nectar would ferment. So they couldn't store it. So they have to get rid of, uh, um, get the stuff down from 80% water down to 18% water. Then they evaporate the um, drops of nectar then within the hive in the warm environment of a hive and concentrate it down until it becomes thick, viscous honey, which is so dense that um, uh, it, uh, it, it can't ferment. They also add uh, um, enzymes to it to change it. So they change the sugar in it from sucrose, which is what we get in the supermarket, down to things like glucose and other things which are very easily assimilated, which is why honey is very easy for digestion. Um, and, um, and they add uh, other enzymes and things to it. So it's manufactured by bees um, using their own abilities out of the nectar that is produced by flowers. 
And do they, do they do quite a bit of this work in their stomachs and then they pass it to another bee, is that correct? Well, they take it into the stomach, they take it not into their stomach, but into their honey crop when they um, take it out of the flower and then they regurgitate it out of their honey crop into the cells so in the hive. So it's bee but spit, they basically? Um, they, uh, no, uh, <laughs> it would, uh, that, that gives a quite wrong connotation. Right. Right? They're not adding saliva or okay. anything of that nature, no. Bees are in decline, aren't they? This is the thing we're constantly hearing. Why is that? And is there any help, hope for the bees? Well, the uh, bees are in decline because they're, they're tropical animals. They evolved in um, Africa and India, and we're right on the edge of their territory. Um, and uh, so they need better weather than we have. They have to be lucky with the weather here. But also they need forage. They've got to have flowers to go and get it. And, we, and we've got some very little natural flowers left now. As the, great, you know, the, the, the countryside is industrialised. So they're short of good forage with good quality food. Um, and then they need beekeepers too, because they can't live in the open now any longer. They need, they've got to have a beekeeper to look after them within the comfort and shelter of the hive. Robin, we're running out of time. We're, 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 all of my team are saying we're finding you fascinating. We're going to get you on again and have uh, spend a bit more time with you another day. Uh, and one final question. Uh, do the most bees die if they sting? Yes, um, bees do die because the sting is so adapted that um, it, sticks, it, 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 it sticks into your skin and pulls away from a bee, leaving them a huge wound at the back of their, uh, back of their bodies and they dehydrate. But anyway, if anybody wants to talk more, we're at um, Hitchin's Farmer's Market on Saturday morning um, selling honey and answering all the questions of the public. Fantastic. Hitchin, Hitchin uh, Farmer's Market down by the river. Uh, Robin, and uh, I've got to say, go, go and get fresh honey. Don't, don't buy the, you know, that, that squeezy stuff in the supermarkets. Go and get a jar of fresh honey. It, boy, it tastes completely different. Well, the, the squeezy stuff in the, in the supermarket has been heated to destroy its nature so that it doesn't go hard. And that's destroyed the enzymes that the bees put in and all the health the healthy aspects of the honey have all gone. It's gone. Robin, we, we have to leave it there. We, we'll get you back again, sir, because you're fascinating. We, we're talking about sending Justin Dealey down to you to come and look at some bees. Robin, uh, Robin Dartington from the uh, Buzzworks Association in Hitchin. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. And here's the latest for High Wycombe, uh, Lane 3 blocked on Marlow Hill. It's an accident. It's just by the Handycross roundabout in Weedon. Much uh, heavier than usual for the A413 as you're heading towards the Bucks County show. And Boreham Woods, you've got the burst water main closing off Theobald Street. You've been diverted via Organ Hall Road. Uh, again, a busy morning for Dunstable for the A5 High Street North. Bill Sheldrake, BBC Three Counties Radio. Bill, thank you very much indeed. I've got to say again, Rob, wasn't Robin a fantastic guest? We'll get him back again. I've also, I, I, I want to send Dealey down to work to a beekeeping site. I want Dealey in one of those white suits and a can of smoke they have. I'm at the edge of my knowledge. That's it. Go and download the podcast, please, dear listener. JVS is up next. I'm back tomorrow. Till then, ta-ta. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JBS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's Thursday already. And on today's big phone-in, I'm asking, have you changed your mind on our involvement in Syria?